This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Back like a bad habit on a Monday and as washed as ever. Hi, everyone. We are back home, and it is time for another edition of your favorite podcast. It's time for Morning Combat. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I am joined by the Viceroy of Connecticut, the Connecticut Dirtbag himself, yeah. <laughs> fresh off the bird, fresh off the bird from uh, Dallas. How you doing, BC? You're like, this. my co-host is as washed <laughs> as Daniel Kinahan's war chest, Luke, right? I don't even know what that means. Uh, <laughs> Let me not launder you any longer here, Luke. Great to be back at it. Had a hell of a time down there in Arlington, Texas, for all things Spence Ugas. Hope everybody enjoyed the fight, the pay-per-view, our reaction, all that good stuff. But we're back on a loaded Monday, talking UFC, talking Bellator, talking about that, talking about talking about, Luke, okay? That's what we do, talking about the podcast, all right? Hey, you you look, you know, for, for a guy who just came off the damn uh Weekend, you look you look happy, Luke. You look fit. I, I mean, I wouldn't pay that. I wouldn't pay them kind of money for that haircut. You know what I'm saying? But it does look good, bro. Right? Uh, I mean, I feel halfway okay, but I'm still pretty tired. And dude, traveling when you're in your 40s, man. I used to be like in my 20s, people like, oh, I'm so tired from traveling. And I'd be like, how is that possible? You just sat on a plane for a bunch of hours and then grabbed some luggage. It's not really all that yeah. hard. And then you age and you're like, oh, right. This is much different than I had imagined it being. But uh Especially when they were playing loud music at all hours of the night and day during our stay in yeah, Dallas, they were, Texas. They, they were pumping that, that, that bass down there at Live by Lowe's. Shout out to the fine people there at that establishment. But they're like, you will not sleep when you're here. That, no. that is, that is yeah. Zippy sleeping. You're, you're screwed if you want to go there for that. But anyway, we are back from Spence versus Ugas, which we'll talk about a little bit. We have not gotten into any of the UFC stuff, so we will do that today. Obviously, we'll recap a little bit of the Bellator uh, stuff that happened on Friday. So thumbs up on the video. Please hit subscribe if you are watching on YouTube. If you are listening on via a podcast platform, please give us a nice review there as well. We always appreciate it. Um, let's see, Showtime.com. We've been telling you guys, you got to see BC on Saturday on Showtime, if in fact you had it. Of course, it was on YouTube as well, but still, it was simulcast. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. BC, we got a merch store, MorningCombat.store, and you're wearing Ooh. the latest installment of that, as I understand it. I mean, look at look at this. I got I got three points of wisdom right here. Uh, look, I'll say this, Luke. We've said about the quality of this merch. Look, if you don't like the design, that's on you. If you, if you can't wear tie-dye above age 40 like I can and pull it off, that's on you. 
But when you're talking about quality, okay, this is what we give you with this stuff, okay? Champion material right here. Uh, we're down with that. Morningcombat.store. Get your Luke, uh, Dead Luke line. Get your Factory Town MMA line. Maybe your January 6th Insurrection line. I think we got a nice uh, low-T starter pack that we're putting together, Luke. There's a lot of good stuff going down there at Morningcombat.store. Yes, there certainly is. So be on the lookout for that. And BC, I would be remiss if I didn't mention we had a new sponsor called oh, Bird yeah. Dogs who have completely changed the game. This is my shit right here, Luke. Let me tell you about this. So Bird Dogs, they make shorts, pants, and joggers. So first off, they're made from the finest quality material. But second of all, they come with the built-in liner that cradle your stovepipe. <laughs> <laughs> for all day comfort. Wow, what a read. I love this shit. Seriously, though, who the fuck likes being uncomfortable? This is, this is a real read right here. If you're not wearing bird dogs this summer, Luke, you probably poop with your pants on. <laughs> and now, thanks to bird dogs, you can do that and pull it off. No, it's not diapers, Luke. It's built-in lined underwear for on the workout, for on the go, for comfortability. Whatever you got to do, it's time to upgrade the shorts and pants of your future. Your balls will thank you, and I can I can guarantee that. So here's the deal, Luke. This is what I want our people to do. Go to birddogs.com right now. Enter our promo code, Cuts Combat with a K, and they'll throw you a free Bird Dogs dad hat, okay? Now you can wear something that screams how low your T actually is. That's birddogs.com, promo code combat, and boom. Get your free Bird Dogs dad hat, but most importantly, try out the product. Take a test run. Find out how comfortable you can be this summer you will not take these things off, okay? I promise you that. The bird dogs promise you that. Um, your relationship status likely promises you that if you're over 40. That's just what happens, Luke, okay? So you think, oh, I'm, I'm married. I'm going to be slanging, right? No, no, you're not. When no, they say stovepipe, what do they mean? <laughs> uh, I think that's uh, to your discretion, to your imagination. Oh, let me finish reading here. Uh, turnover page for more instructions. Uh, oh, will you stop? I mean, just stop. Just, I know what you're doing. Just, will you knock it off, please? Let's, okay. All right. There you go. Birddogs.com. Enter the pro, uh, promo code combat with AK. All right. Uh, BC, I'm ready if you're ready, good sir. I believe that is all the things that we have to promote. Yes, I think we're ready to go if you are. Look, how about we promote ourselves too? An award winning duo, the best damn combat sports show, period. And according to some in the UK, the best sports podcast that was ever made. So, uh, with that out of the way. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Morningcombat at gmail.com, of course, is the place to reach the show. All right. With that out of the way, let us begin. Topic number one, BC. We were just in Dallas. This was the most significant combat sports event of the weekend, so we will start there. But don't worry, UFC fans. We'll get to UFC next. But first things first, BC. Errol Spence stops Jordanis Ugas in the 10th round, basically, to claim three of the four welterweight world titles. Let's start here. What can we say about this win, and what can you say about how he did it? Uh, I, I think you can say without, without a question of the doubt that Errol Spence is one of the special fighters of this era, potentially on the road to becoming the welterweight in the post-Mayweather-Pacquiao era. Obviously, it's going to come down to that showdown that we all want with Terrence Crawford. But when you look at the questions against Errol Spence, Luke, the time off, the eye surgery, the accident before that, I mean, this could have been... Not only a tragic story had he never gotten back into the ring, but it could have been a, a story where, hey, a once great fighter went through some stuff, came back, and, you know, we found out what he still had left. Instead, Luke, at 32 years old, we're finding out a guy who's somehow finding out how to be better than he ever was. 
his commitment to the shape that he got himself into hiring the nutritionist making this weight cut seeming with ease not i'm mean, not with ease you saw you saw the effects on his body but compared to the hard weight cuts he's had in the past when he's able to go out there with the full skill set that he has and and a gas tank that will break you down and, and destroy you luke i made this comparison to you afterwards i haven't seen an ability in a fighter to throw a four or five punch combination and then without even stepping back to take a breath, dive right back in with more since prime Manny Pacquiao, since the Manny Pacquiao that was leaping up weight classes and just putting that hurricane fury on people. Errol Spence made a decision in this fight that he was going to go toe to toe with Ugas and that he believed in his skills, his chin, his offensive output to get Ugas out of there. Not only did he finish one of the best, you know, 15 fighters in the world today, he broke his damn face, Luke. I mean, he broke the guy's orbital bone. So when Errol Spence goes out on Twitter afterwards and says, hey, not bad for 15 months off, whatever. Uh, imagine what I'll be like in the future. It's time we start believing him, Luke. I think the gap in the idea of who wins Spence Crawford, which has always sort of leaped based on their different performances. Who do you like more this time? I think the, the, the stock on Spence could not be higher than it is today. And considering everything he went through, this is a pretty damn remarkable performance we saw because Ugas is that good and nobody does that to him. And yet we're actually here at age 32 going, is this the best version of Errol Spence we've ever seen? That's what I learned this weekend, Luke, that I don't really know Spence's ceiling. And when he's going to go out there with that motor and the skills to back it up, answer me this, Luke, who the hell's going to stand in that kitchen and take that shit? Who? I don't know. Who? I don't know. I mean, here's the funny thing about this to me. I did a preview and I watched a bunch of uh, each of their fights and sort of settled on two for Errol Spence, the Kell Brook and the Lamont Peterson fight. Uh, kind of funny. He broke. I know Kell Brook was coming off of the face break to, to Triple G when he went back down to face Errol Spence, but then Errol Spence broke his other eye in that fight. And here he is breaking now the face of your Dennis Ugas. You know, it's kind of funny. He doesn't seem to have or he doesn't seem to land those one big monstrous shots like Tank Davis does. But, dude, he clearly puts on a lot of uh, volume on you, as everyone can see. But he can hit real hard as well. He's got real debilitating power, is what I would say. It just slowly, quite literally, breaks these guys over time. But, BC, here's why I bring this up. And looking at all their fights, I mean, I watched a bajillion of their fights trying to you know, think of how they might match up. In some ways, they did match up how I thought. But in other ways, BC, yes, you have seen... Errol Spence fight on the inside. Of course you have. You've seen him bully guys against the ropes. Of course you have. But you have not seen up to this point Errol Spence maintain that shoulder-to-shoulder, elbow-to-elbow position, firing offense, going side-to-side for as long as he did. This is the funny part to me, BC, and I think you're absolutely correct. Not only did this guy not have any ring rust, not only did he perform up to expectations, and I wouldn't say he you know, developed a new style. That's not right either. But he showed even a new gear in this fight on the comeback. That's what's so remarkable. It wasn't like he had two fights under his belt and he really was, you know, firing on all cylinders in the last year or something. He did all of this off the layoff and then kind of fought in a way that I don't think a lot of folks, again, for as long as he did it, I don't think a lot of folks expected that. I certainly thought he would be a little bit more at range pushing someone like Ugas backwards. And instead, he, got, he pushed him backwards, but he also pushed him in circles and side to side. Look at this. You can see this, the, the highlights. Look at how in close he is all the time. I got to tell you, man, everyone talks about his game being basic. There's nothing basic about it. He no. has a lot of basics in command. I think is what Sean Porter meant. 
but he has so many of them, it just becomes overwhelming. I'll tell you this, BC, and we'll talk about Terrence Crawford in a minute. I think Terrence Crawford probably has the flashier game of the two, and he might be better. We'll have to see. But in terms of the overall, I would say, depth and breadth of the game, Errol Spence, it, I, there's just not a lot of boxers like him. They just no, don't exist like There's not a lot like of boxers this. like him today or or really ever because, I mean, that was Chocolatito-like, his ability – to sort of move his foot, it, it, rotate his stance, get off those different power shot combinations in close. And Luke, it's not that he didn't take shots in return. He, you know, he ate some big right hand counters from Ugas, but the volume was so much that I mean, it was swallowing Ugas up. You saw the final punch stats; he more than doubled him every category. He dominated him. So, Luke, to get people online, which I've seen, you know, some incredible people do go, "Yeah, man," but what about the lack of head movement? Do you realize? Do you realize when you commit to that level of offensive production, you're gonna stay in the strike zone. You know what I mean? You're gonna get hit. It just so happens Spence has a world class chin, an ability to you know recuperate on the fly, make adjustments, and obviously that sixth round could have gone down the other way when he got when he got hurt by a big shot, knocked his mouthpiece out. Then ate two more clean shots when he took his eye off the ball. That could have been disastrous. That could have been a knockout loss. Yet he bit down, came on at the end of that round, and really, again, answered every single question. So, Luke, you know, I'm going to be updating my CBS Sports Boxing Top 10 Pound for Pound list tomorrow. But spoiler alert, you know, the top of it looks like this. Canelo Alvarez, number one. Errol Spence Jr., number two. Mm. Terrence Crawford, number three. Mm. The monster, uh, Anue from Japan, number four. And then, you know, there, there's Usyk, there's, Ty, there's Tyson Fury, there's a few others right after that. I got to ask you a very tough question here, Luke. Because what Canelo Alvarez did in the last year, we said, wow, what a crowded pound-for-pound pound field, yet here's a, a, a an all, God, God damn, an all-time great in Canelo just widening that gap. How close is it in your eyes right now between one and two under my list of Canelo Alvarez and Errol Spence after this performance? So someone asked me this question last week, not specifically this one, but something like it, which is how do you measure pound for pound? Because some people will look at the accomplishments that everyone has and then try to weigh them and see whose resume allows them to be put at the front of the list, assuming that they're you know doing things currently. Um, and the other one was like, who do you think is more talented? It's harder to answer the second question without some reference to the first, but I'll try to, to do that here. I actually don't think there is a, um, uh, a narrow gap in terms of, resume between Spence and Canelo. I think Canelo moving up weight classes and what he has done, fully unifying a weight class at, what was it, 168 he unified? You know, we're talking about just an extraordinary achievement. Spence is still has been gone for a while. Obviously, this performance over Saturday was amazing. But I'll say this. In terms of skills, I don't think hardly anyone is better than Errol Spence. Canelo's got a bit of a different game. He's got a little bit more slickness to him. He does have that head movement. He's got more explosive counters, that kind of a thing. And those are things that Errol Spence doesn't have. But, dude, Errol Spence's ability to just continuously find openings, create openings, and then create this rush where every minute feels like the last one was not nearly as dangerous and it just it gets way worse, way quicker. He's sort of like this, this slow-moving tidal wave for the first half of the fight and then, it's an, and then it's an avalanche after that. I mean, I don't know what the metaphor is, but 
that level of work rate, that level of discipline. I mean, think about breaking the faces of Kell Brook and Ordenis, Ordenis Ugas. I mean, part of it is that he has big power. Part of it is that he is so accurate with his punching, he's able to go to the same target over and over and over again. This Again, this wasn't the uppercut that dropped Leo Santa Cruz, you know, some monstrous shot. It was a continuous ability to thread a needle over and over and over and over again, and that is just so remarkable. So I'll keep Canelo at number one, but talent-wise, there is a negligible difference between them, even if there are some stylistic differences. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and obviously, Canelo floating in weight, as you said, now he's going up to 175 in a fight against Bivol. That's so much harder than people realize. <laughs> That's sort of historical precedence, but Spence right there, Crawford after the Sean Porter knockout is right there, obviously a new way, but man, we are talking about some, some potential all-timers putting on one great performance after another. Uh, man, Luke, man, you know, I mean, we all kind of, not we all, I predicted, look, this could be, you know, good chess match, it'll go the distance, it'll be seven five eight four Spence, but it'll be clear, uh, no, no, Luke. I mean, it, it, it was one-way traffic, as you would say, for, for most of it after that, you know, early closest start. Round. But but I didn't think it would be this much of a destruction. So uh, I'll tell you what. Here's why I damn. thought it could have been. I didn't see this exactly, like fighting on the inside. I thought it would be a different range. And so for that, like, Errol Spence very much surprised me. But, dude, you know this as well. You've seen his fights just more than I have. Don't did it not feel like, especially go back to the Kell Brook fight, right? And, and everyone was like, "Oh, Kell Brook was a shell of himself after Triple G." I don't, sorry, I don't believe that at all. I, I, I think he was, you know, somewhat compromised, but a shell of himself. No, I'm sorry, I do, I do not believe that. I don't think the performance shows that either. But the point I'm trying to make is, dude, have you not noticed in Errol Spence fights there comes a point where they offer his opponents very stiff resistance, and then all of a sudden it doesn't collapse. But you can see it slipping through their grasp. And, dude, he puts on the fucking gas pedal after that. And I just felt like if he's able to pump the jab and continue to work. Dude, that's the thing about uh, uh, about Spence. Part of it is, yes, he's got a lot of the basics and the fundamentals. And he brings them all together. And it gives him a lot of options. But the other part is, dude, he just doesn't stop. And so because he takes things away from you. And because he still has that the gas pedal to the floor. By the time those late rounds come around, I, I'm, I'm always curious, like, who the hell can stand up to that if he's been landing? This is the challenge for Bud Crawford, and we'll talk about him in just a second, but the challenge will be, dude, you're, he's going to keep touching you. You have to find a way to stop that. And I don't really know what the answer is. In MMA, you could just take him down. In boxing, you have to figure out a much more trickier, or a much trickier problem to solve. And so, well, I did. I did think he was going to stop, or at least really hammer Ugas late. I'll, my 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 major takeaway was I didn't see him doing it with the shoulder inside like that. Well, this version of Spence is going to blow away the Keith Thurman's if they fight. You know, the the whoever, because I I do think it's true, and I think it needs to be said again. I know I've been harping on this point this week. But what his commitment to the game, Luke, even during that great calendar year of 2019, which ended, of course, with the bad accident, but started with a shutout pay-per-view you know, performance against unbeaten Mikey Garcia, and then a fight of the year slugfest in which he overcame Sean Porter, that version of Spence was showing up to fights like drunk, drunk as shit, getting on camera and being bloated and blowing up in weight between fights, yet he was, what, pound for pound number three and in you know, on his way to becoming an, a unified champion. Dude, he's had a lot of humbling experiences outside of the ring. But luckily, luckily, he's still young enough to where now that he's got the the full work ethic. It's not that he didn't work hard. He's always been in killer shape. He's an ex-Olympian. I mean, look, the guy's the real deal. 
but to clean up that that final 20% of, of what he is and to, to, to commit that now, he's going to destroy every welterweight not named Terrence Crawford. Right. And that's that Luke is why, God, would we have liked would we have loved this fight? Crawford Spence, you know, back when they were 27, 28 and first becoming champions. Of course. Right? Nobody wants to wait till Mayweather and Pacquiao are 38 and 36. But we're still talking about you're kind of fighting for this era, meaning, okay, it's Canelo's era, but in terms of the welterweight game, you're still one and two, you're still unbeaten, you're still champions, and they may be better now at this age in terms of the experience mixed with the physical, where there's only one guy, I think, who can solve Spence. And, dude, it is Crawford. Crawford's ability to box from the outside and switch stances, his ability to creatively land power shots. Luke, dude, seriously. If they made this fight in 2017, you'd been jumping out of your shorts. If they made it two years ago when we were already deep into, hey, boxing, you're fucking killing us, bro. We deserve this fight. You still wouldn't have been excited. I think I'm more excited right now, Luke, because I think Spence found another gear. Crawford is, as we saw in the Sean Porter fight, he hasn't declined with age. When the, when the challenge is a, is a greater one, he gets greater. Terrence Crawford does. This is... This ain't, this ain't me company guy going, please put put Spence Crawford on Showtime pay-per-view so I can be part of it and cash checks, although that's in play. Believe that. This is me as a fan going, I, I think it's better now at this age. These two, all four belts, undefeated. Let's let's fucking find out, Luke, okay? Right, I'm so let's, fired, let's, let's talk about that fight. I am fired the hell up, Luke. I've got a hard-on from here to Hanover, Ohio, bro. Okay, let's talk about this fight. First things first, do you think... Based on the tweets, and just based on the reality, for folks who don't, aren't aware, there are four major weight class titles, right? Spence has three, Crawford has the other one. There's no one else holding titles at this point. So before, remember when, uh, when right at the moment Crawford left top rank, we were saying, okay, now you can make this fight. And they're like, well, let's see what happens with Ugas. Okay, Ugas happened. Now we're at a situation where there is literally nothing left for them to do. And I'm glad you brought that up because I don't know who's going to beat Crawford either outside of Spence at 147. Like, both of them are due probably. We'll see how long. I mean, Crawford's a little bit older, but both of them after this, unless it's rematch, they're, uh, they're due for a 154 fight. I mean, they can't. there's nobody else even approximating what they can do. And I'll say this, BC. Crawford allows himself, and that's the word I'm using, allows himself to take more risk and therefore take more damage. So how plausible is a scenario where he hurts and even drops Errol Spence, but drops the fight due to the work rate and overwhelming firepower and force, but by the way, not just power, but of course all the smart decisions that he makes of Errol Spence. Look, it's in play because they're both that great where what you love about a fight is when you not only don't know who's going to win, and that's what great historical sort of 50-50 matchups are, unbeaten champion versus unbeaten champion. I mean, it's perfect. But you also don't know what it's going to look like. You also don't know if they fought five times in the next, you know, two years. Would each fight look completely different? It probably would when they're this great and they're this versatile. So the scenario you played out, it could happen. Do you know what other scenario could happen, Luke? Mm. Like Terrence Crawford in the beginning, when he first got on our radar, at, you know, 135, and he moved up to 140 to fill in last minute to fight Bradis Prescott on HBO, and it was like, who the hell is this guy? Dude, those first early major TV appearances, Crawford just boxed from the outside. Just used his length and his speed. You know, if he makes that decision, that I'm going to come there against Errol Spence and just try to prove that I'm going to, I can box him from the outside and, and, and out-chess him. 
dude, it's in play, right? Just like if you're Errol Spence and you say, you know what? We're pretty close in most categories, but I wonder if he can stand in that kitchen with me and cook on this level. Let's find that out. That's also in play, Luke. Or we can see constant adjustments from both, which is probably more likely. Either way, it's like, uh, not only is this maybe, to my argument, the best time for them to have faced each other, it's as 50-50, Luke, as it's ever been. And that's that's where it should be. That's where we need it to be. I have no idea, Luke, what this fight's going to look like, except for that it's going to be awesome. And it's our generation's gift. It's our Leonard Hearns. It's our De La Hoya Trinidad. It's our Mayweather Pacquiao. I keep saying that because it, it is. These are two all-time great fighters coming together unblenished to find out who's the man of this era. It just so happens each one has multiple ways to win this fight. Good. God, give it to us. Give it to us right now. All the people involved in this. Network, I know Crawford's a free agent, which makes the likeliness of this happen next, again, stronger than it's ever been. I don't know if we have the Terrence Crawford tweet, but you mix. Spence going on the microphone afterwards and, and not doing anything but calling out Crawford. Crawford tweeting at Spence, it's time to make the fight. I don't care if you're Steven Espinosa, if you're a promoter, if you're a network guy, if you're a if you're rap hands for one of these two fighters. Let's get everybody in the same room. And we're talking, there's enough money for everybody. It's about history now. This is why you do this. This is why you, you know what I mean? This is, this is why you lift them weights in the offseason, Bill Parcells, right? For, the, for, for so, moments on, like this. Let me this. ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let's skip Mayweather-Pacquiao for a second. What is the most comparable fight to a Spence versus Crawford fight, not including Mayweather-Pacquiao? Something else you can think of that would fit that description. It's the two references I just gave you, meaning... Ray Leonard versus Thomas Hearns when Hearns was unbeaten. Leonard had the one loss to Duran, but he avenged it. And then, of course, you had unbeaten De La Hoya versus unbeaten Trinidad in 1999. And if you don't remember that fight, although obviously it, it didn't play out to our expectations and there was a you know compromised decision involved, that was the biggest non-heavyweight pay-per-view in the history of the sport at that point. So those two examples, those guys were younger in their career, which is more about you'd prefer that as a fan, right? When guys are rising to face each other. So it's a little bit more like Mayweather-Pacquiao just from the age, but I think it's the perfect middle ground between these two fights, Luke. And is there another comparison? Well, it's not like we haven't ever had uh, welterweight unifications, right? The, the one Saturday night was the 12th all-time, but again, they're both unbeaten. You know what I mean? And they're both in their absolute freaking prime. Yeah, man. It, it compares to those others historically, Luke. And in some ways, it, it, it stands apart on its own. But it, it, it's, it has to be next. It, it fucking has to be next. Whoever's out there I'm going to nail you to the wall here. Whoever's out there that needs to hear this, it has to be next. Okay, I'm going to ask you. Career on the line, does it happen this year? Does Spence yeah. versus Crawford take place in 2022? Because I'm going to tell you, I think it does. I was walking out of Arlington's uh, own Jerry World with you late Saturday night, Luke. And I said, look, you know, I've never been more confident that it happens next. Give me what? What did I say? Give me November? Give me, give me November? Yeah, November. Give me November. T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, right? Because it's mm. probably where they can make the most money ticket sale-wise, right? I know our normal thinking is put it in the damn dome, right? 80000 no, no, You're not, you're not going to put it in Spence's backyard. You're going to put it in the neutral site where you can make the most money and attract the most attention. If it's November of Las Vegas, and that's not me with industry knowledge, that's me going, makes sense to me. Look, it's a monster event. Uh, it, it's a little bit more critically loved than it will be commercial, but but sold right, the commercial's going to catch up with it because it sells itself, right? Let's do it. I mean, get excited, guys. There, there, there's no, let's stop being 
the, the jaded boxing fans who are waiting for that heartbreak around the corner. And I'm here to tell you the heartbreak is still coming because it's boxing. It's unstructured. It's ridiculous. But it's also unrivaled in its, in its build toward a big fight in the anticipation. And this one, Spence Crawford has everything we want, we need. It's time. Let's do it. Put me in the front row. Luke, heck, let me call the fight. All right, let me call my shot. Let me point, 32 World Series, let me point to the fence. Just let me be there, all right? Yes. Damn. By the way, I get I get more requests for us to do fight companions than maybe for anything else. So we have to figure out a way to do that. I wouldn't do a fight companion for Spence versus Crawford, but we, we should probably figure that out. All right, before we go here on this topic, BC, let's talk about Ugas for a second. There was a question about whether or not he lost stock here. I have to tell you, I don't think he did. He went up against a renewed Spence who, yes, there were questions about him, but then when you saw what he turned in, and I got to say, yes, the sixth round was a little weird with how Spence let his guard down and then got hit, but there were other moments, A, where Ugas was landing pretty well, I thought, actually, especially for the first six, and also the amount of heart that he showed. I think what most people are going to walk away from is, okay, he fought a guy who was a little bit too good for maybe everybody, but he still made a very strong account of himself. I don't think Ugas' stock got hurt here, do you? No, not at all. And, and uh, you know, you got some of those reactional tweets. And again, I, I don't even know why I reference tweets. Look, you've been in my ear for as long as I've known you saying, you know, that's the 1% of people who have nothing else to do and don't, right. shouldn't have a say in this world and you're giving it to them. But you did see, man, what a shitty game plan from Ugas. I don't think it was. I no, think he got run over by a train that he was prepared to fight, you know, an aggressive, fun chess match with. And it turned into a phone booth war. Now, it wasn't a sloppy you know, all-time great brawl, but it was Spence, footwork, craft, setting up, just being relentless. And here's the deal. Spence never took his foot off the gas. He never gassed out. He never needed to make adjustments outside of that right hand, which was catching him here and there. But again, that's the price you pay when you stand directly in front of a guy and at times square up to throw big combinations. Ugas, I think, was was hoping that one of those big right hands would sort of change the pace and the momentum a little bit. And maybe he could start boxing and do what he does, which is slowly get closer and, and, and kind of piece you, pot shot you one at a time. Dude, against that storm, it, 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 he never got off. And the fact that he still had moments in there shows you who he is. And the fact that he endured the you know his face breaking to, to keep going down that road to try to find some way to, to be victorious. Even if you criticize and say, okay, when the damage is adding up, Shouldn't have Ugas have rotated to boxing from the outside. Look, that's not really his game, right? He's a guy who is crafty and technical, but does it in a, in a dangerous spot, gets close to you behind that high guard, because most people, Luke, can't find him behind that high guard. Spence, like you said, was doing all kinds of craft that you could tell they were well-studied, well-prepared. Shout out to Derek James, the great trainer of Errol Spence, to, to, to fit those shots in around the guard, through it, over it. I don't know what you could say what Ugas should have done. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think against a fighter this great who is this dialed in, there's really nothing you can do. No, there's nothing you could do. I mean, it is true that Spence made the fight a little uglier than he normally does in order to open it up. But if you're a guy who stands like this, boxing at range, far, you know, far enough at the very, very end of your jab and then sticking and moving like a Sean Porter, it doesn't work. You, there's a certain amount of of uh, offensive opportunities built into each kind of style. Some have more, some have less, some have A, some have B, but there are limits to it. So that that's just not really in, in, the, in the program. And I would also say, like, again, how many people are familiar with Ugas's catalog? I was not until I had to do homework, 
But then when I did, dude, he is the epitome of being careful and and precise and his timing. I mean, look, go back and watch that Pacquiao fight. His timing is impeccable. The reason why it wasn't here is because Spence took that away from him by pushing into him and turning him and then pinning his glove to his own shoulder and then you know, coming around the side, and then when he's bending over, he's eating uppercuts. When he's coming around, he's eating hooks. He didn't know where to go because Spence removed that element of the fight from him. Pacquiao could not do that. But Pacquiao ain't Errol Spence. I'm not sure anybody's Errol Spence. So I don't think Ugas, did he, did he fight the most brilliant fight you've ever seen? No, but but it was a good effort. It was a, it was a determined effort, and to me, his stock is just as high as it was going into the contest. I didn't think he was going to win anyway, so, so there you go. Uh, all right, BC. How good of a friend? It, no one says this. How good of a friend is your Dennis Ugas to roll this Chapman, the Yankees closer, that he made his nickname Fifty Four Milagros. So I think the the latter is his mother's last name. The 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 former is his best friend. Dude, that shit's everywhere. It's on his waist. It's on his jacket. It's. I mean, Luke. I, imagine. Imagine if if I put put my put the arms down on the battlefield and said, Luke, for, from here on out, I'm for you in every category. Imagine you walk around with some BC merch. I, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine. How good of a friend is Ugas? Uh, he's pretty great. But, I mean, isn't it true that Chapman gave him, like, 20000 bucks to get back on his feet, and then he used that to move to Vegas and then reconstitute his career in 2016? I like, didn't know that. Cha- Ch- Chapman's a pretty good friend, too, you know? I wouldn't give you twenty k, Luke, but I'd 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 talk you off the ledge in, in, in a second, okay? Cincuenta y cuatro. Uh, okay, with that out of the way, let's talk about finally. I know our fans are are very upset that we have delayed it this far, but here we go. Let's now talk about the UFC. Okay, so here is what happens in the main event. We have Bilal Muhammad getting a decision victory over Vicente Luque. Win all five rounds. This is easily, BC, the best win of Muhammad's career. It sets up a potential showdown with Colby Covington. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, what did you make of the fight? And what does this victory, the seventh in a row now, prove for Muhammad? I really like this performance, and I didn't prepare to like it, meaning we didn't get to watch it live. You and I were were at the Spence fight. You had it on your laptop. We're kind of looking at it, but we didn't get the full structure. So you hear things, Luke. You hear, oh, they went the distance, and it was kind of boring, and oh, I don't know if we really learned it. Blah, blah. I learned a lot, Luke. I learned that Bilal Muhammad can, when needed to, can really make smart, calculating adjustments to take away all of the things that made his opponent good. And here's why this was key. Muhammad had lost by knockout back in 2016 to Luke, and then they both went on these really strong runs to put themselves in legit title contention. In Muhammad's mind, he'd already... Lost a gunfight against the, you know, against a shooter. In this case, Luke, he he made such brilliant adjustments. Some of it was subtle footwork. Some of it was just a smart attention to detail. But I think, and you can tell me if I'm crazy, it was offensive enough to where he had Luke figured out. Was it overly exciting? No, but it was sort. It was one timed takedown per round, seemingly decent enough top control to keep him offensive. And then anytime they got on the feet really just minimizing the angles and offensive opportunities. And in the end, it kind of made Luke look a little bit limited for how much recent success he has had. And even when Luke slipped in that, that short left check hook that kind of rocked Muhammad, you saw great defensive responsibility to, to get his legs back and then an instant shot to change the momentum. Um, I don't think this was a position, Luke, where even an exciting, emphatic, knockout win to avenge the his most recent loss would have allowed him to cut the line we know where we're going right now it's Kamara Usman 
probably against Leon Edwards. Hamza just beat up Burns in in a, in, a, in an all time great war, and you know could very well be next. This became more about survive and advance, and the fact that Bulal not only realized that was able to execute that over 25 minutes, which again, if you're a Bilal Muhammad and you really want people to remember the name, you've got to be prepared for that title leap, which goes from three rounds to five rounds where you have to fight differently in most cases. He did that in my eyes. So he had the perfect backup plan ready to make the call out for Colby, but I think he understood, Luke, I need to protect where I am in the rankings. I'm not necessarily going to be able to leapfrog everybody, so let's go smart. I don't remember a, a, a performance as smart as this one from Muhammad, who tends to rely more on pressure in his biggest wins. This was layered, Luke. There, there's a, there, there was, this was IQ heavy. Much respect to Bilal. This was a very strong performance of his. Let me read his wins since he lost to Jeff Neal in 2010, or his fights anyway, because there won no contest against Edwards. Everyone knows the story there. He beat Curtis Millender. He beat Takashi Sato. He finished him. He beat Lyman Good. He beat Diego Lima. They had the eye issue against Edwards. That fight went 18 seconds or whatever. Then, and this is the turn, BC, he beats Demi and Maya via decision. He beats Steven Thompson via decision. Folks, forget about that fight. And then he beats Vicente Luque. And you can say Thompson and Maya are two older guys. You can't say Luque is. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And I thought his, po his post-fight comments were really instructive from Muhammad, which was, I had to get over the five-round hump. You know, I had to get over the fact that this guy had beaten me before, knocked him out or stopped him with strikes anyway. Previously, he had to get over that. And, of course, as you indicated, Luque was pressuring him. He's usually the one doing the pressure. And so he had this really clever and, and j again, going back to the Errol Spence things, these guys who can keep up with their, their efforts – late in fights it just is such an extraordinary advantage he never stopped moving in this fight he was never very hardly at all a stationary target it's why Vicente Luque had a very hard time and I also agree with you yes I think Luque is the better striker of the two and I think that you know that left hook but other things he threw showed that but Muhammad was landing he was landing one twos he was landing jabs he was landing from either stance good combinations I also think he was switching stances a lot in part to set up different takedowns. Also, in part, he was getting them from different stances. Folks, go back and look at this. He had different kinds of takedowns. I won't say each time, but there was enough of a variety of them where he wasn't going back to the well. He was using different setups and different uh, entries and different finishes to get what he wanted. Dude, this was, I, I agree with you, this was a very smart, disciplined, layered approach, beating a high-quality opponent. And I'm going to say it one more time. In a five-round fight, in a main event, against a guy who had not just beaten him before but stopped him with strikes he had to make sure and you can tell in his prep he did by the way all through ramadan so he's fasting as long as the sun is up i mean that's just a crazy level of commitment to get all of that into all of this he needed the time to get his game here maybe he had to learn from some of those mistakes along the way this is easily the very best version of Bilal Muhammad, and this win is as quality as they come in the welterweight division. I really love this for him, and I understand it wasn't super fan-friendly, BC. Fair enough. But if you like fighting, if you like educated fighting, um, you got a lot of it here. There was a lot to like. I think it was savvy, and I think it was an understanding, like I said, of where he is in the rankings and what could be next. So I want to ask you this, Luke, because I thought the, the call-out of Colby was, it was a good one. It makes sense. Do I think he'll get that fight? I'm not sure. I want to ask you where you think we're headed <clears throat> with some of these big names that keep popping up in our show. Connor, Nate, Dustin. And I know you said, well, how does that relate to this? Because I think Colby is loosely related to that too. So 
Everyone seems to think, Luke, that my Jake Paul theory is shit, and it probably is, that the only reason we're not making Dustin versus Nate now is because the UFC would prefer to make Connor Nate 3 as Nate's final fight. Get that off in the octagon now. Let's not leave it open for those two to go somewhere else when their contract expires. So if that's the case, do you think Dustin goes the way of Colby, which would take this fight away from Bilal? What do you think is next for Bilal based upon those names I mentioned? It's interesting that everyone's calling out Colby after this. Um, he has his sights set on 155ers and other places, but these guys at the top of welterweight, they want a piece of them, whether it's Hamzat or whether it is Bilal. I don't think they'll do Hamzat versus Bilal. I could be wrong about that. There's obviously a possibility that could happen, but it seems unlikely. I don't know if there's a lot of, I, I don't know if there's a lot of juice behind that fight. But I love the Colby Bilal fight a lot, actually. I mean, I like any fight with Colby because he's obviously so um, highly ranked. But let me see. Let me pull up the rankings actually to answer that because I'm not really sure what a good answer is to be honest with you. So Luke, here are the rankings as they hold stand. On, quick, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just read it out to you. Covington's at one. Edwards is at two. Edwards got the title shot. Hamzat three. Gilbert four. Vicente five. And Bilal at six. Now they'll, they'll move. So you could do Burns versus Muhammad. What do you think about that? I mean, look, Burns deserves after that performance and his willingness to take on that Hamzat fight, whatever he can get. If this is the best Burns can get, it's just, it's like this. I wanted to jump in and say, look, it's not that I didn't, I didn't remember that Hamzat uh, was potentially linked to Colby based on that Dana White comment. But Luke, if you're Colby, you do have to feel like you've been in, you know, a pay-per-view headliner enough that you got a little bit of say. If UFC comes to Colby and goes, hey, bro, you want to fight Hamzat and ABC or do you want to fight Dustin? I mean, dude, I don't think Colby has any reason to go near Hamzat unless an interim title mm. is at stake, Luke. Mm. That's just my two cents. Why would he, dude? Why yeah, would no, he? I agree with There's that, but do you think UFC there. will actually do that, though? Uh, they might call him and try it, but if you're Colby, you want nothing to do with Hamzat. What are you gaining from that, Luke? You're not getting anything. I know, but they may not even offer him the Dustin fight. I, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I mean, it's just so hard to tell. I like the Gilbert Burns fight, but you can't go backwards because he beat Steven. You could do you could do potentially Jorge Masvidal, but he's all the way back at eight. I don't know if Bilal even wants that fight. And also, you know, given how wouldn't you agree, given the state of Jorge and given the state of Bilal, and then this performance in particular where he was so precise, his takedowns were well timed, he knew exactly what his assignments were, he stuck to it. I, I, he beats Jorge Masvidal if that version. Oh, he shows does. Up. But I do say this, I wouldn't put it past the UFC to offer that fight, though, because hmm. unless they have a, a sort of BMF-type fight for Jorge, meaning unless, you know, they're going to do Connor, they're going to do Nate again, which they're not. They're not doing that right now. You're not, you know, you can only put Jorge in there so deeply down in terms of a step-down performance coming off of these title losses and the, the pay-per-view loss to Colby that, you know, Luke, it might be that time. It might be that time to put him in there with Ball, because if you're the UFC... It's a way to keep Bilal busy in a featured role that could really up his his potential marketability if he's going to stay on this road and eventually get a title shot. Uh, seeing him beat up Jorge, maybe on ABC in a main event, Luke? Could maybe. be. Also, Sean Brady is right next to Jorge Masvidal in the rankings, so that might yeah. be a direction that they go to because I know they want to promote him. But getting Big back MK to, fan. Big, M him, big you know, MK big fan. MK we'll get him on before that fight. But the thing I wanted to say, BC, was this is the one thing that I do think we should mention about Bilal. For all the flowers we're giving him, and they are deserved, the real story of this fight was the disciplined, as you put it, I love that, I love that description, layered and experienced professional at this point. Talented, experienced, well-rounded, 
disciplined. I mean, he's everything I think most fighters would want to be. The one issue that could potentially cost him, not to get to this point because he's already here, but against this next tier of competition, the lack of finishes. He has yeah. a game that is built quite nicely for control, for winning rounds. He has good cardio. Again, all those things. But there was never a moment where you would say that Luque was in danger. And in fact, if you go to his resume, going back, he beat Thompson. Decision. Maya. Decision. Lima. Decision. Good. Decision. He did finish Takashi Sato, but Sato is not what we're talking about. We're talking about this level of opposition. Curtis Millinder. Decision. Chance Rencounter. Decision. Tim Means. Decision. Jordan Meehan. Decision. Randy Brown. Decision. He does have a win over Augusto Montano via stoppage. But this is my point. We see that's from 2016. He's got a couple of stoppage wins, but A, not many of them, and B, against significantly lower quality opposition. And here's the only thing I want to say about this. Colby has a bit of the same problem. You heard Daniel Cormier saying, oh, but Colby threatens the neck in ways that Bilal doesn't. Yeah, but he doesn't really threaten the neck. It's not, it's not so significant. So what I'm going to point out here is if you have a game that's built to, to withstand 25 minutes, that's probably a better game than one that's just decidedly focused on finishing. But it's... At this level, to really beat the very best, you have to kind of have a little bit of both. I would say that's a piece of Bilal's game that is missing against upper-tier yes. opposition. I think the nicest thing you could say here is that Bilal has surprised me at each step up the ladder. The layers of this performance, as we mentioned, surprised me. Do I yet feel, though, that he's a legitimate threat to a champion? Not yet. Not yet. Got to see more. Got to yeah, see more. I think but that's he's, going, he's going in a strong direction. And on the flip side, Luke, I'm a little bit disappointed in Luke. He was coming on. This so was I a have one thing to say about that. Let me tell you what I'm disappointed in, and let me see if you agree. In fact, I pulled this up earlier today because I was looking at the stats on this. Yes, I have them right in front of me. Perfect. I be so the best round that Luke had was what? The third round, probably. That's where that left hook yes. landed and kind of stumbled him. I believe after that round, maybe the one between rounds two and three, but there was one round that midway through the fight where his corner is expressly telling him, you got to jab to the body and then work your way into other places, right? You should go do that. Vicente Luque, in the entirety of that fight, and I realize I'm not in a position to be in his corner. That's not what this is about. But I'm just sort of pointing out what his corner did say. He targeted the body just 7% of the time. He went to the head, 64, and then to the leg, 28. And those were valuable. But it did seem to me, BC, against the advice of his corner, that there was some body work that could have really transferred some of the defense that a guy like Muhammad was working with that he did not invest in that could have maybe not changed the outcome of the fight, although maybe that too. But the, it, the fact that it was missing definitely hurt his chances. Yeah. No? No? Yeah. I see where you're, where you're going with that, Luke. Um, I just – I'm, uh... I'm not – listen to this. I'm not saying that you have to mix up the targeting evenly. For example – Bilal Muhammad went 85% to the head and 13% to the body, just 1% to the leg. He doesn't need to target the leg. Fair enough. It's not about having an even distribution. But if your corner's calling for it and the guy can know yeah. that for the most part it's either going to be a leg kick or a face punch, it's a, it makes managing the defense at least a little bit easier. I didn't see the adjustments you would need to see at this level to, you know, like, like it's like, Luke's a great fighter when he's in control of the terms and he's pushing ahead, Luke. This was one where we really needed to see some nuance and adjustments and, and, and like you said, variety. And we didn't, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. So a little bit, not a little bit, a lot humbling. It's a humbling loss, Luke. A guy right, that he knocked out before, it's a humbling loss. It certainly is. All right, topic number three, we move on here. 
Let's talk about the controversy in the co-main event. So this involved two fighters, Caio Bojalio, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, taking on, and he defeated, Godzi Omar Godziev. Okay, and the technical decision is how it was decided, 29-27 across the board. It stopped officially at 356 of the third round, BC. Uh, or I guess after the fourth? What? No, it was in the third. Excuse me, it was in the third. I apologize, because there's only a three-round contest. Yes, that's right. All right. So here's the, here's the question, BC. Based on how the rules are written and the technical decision that was reached, does a fight like this incentivize cheating? I'm not saying that Bahalio did, but you can right. clearly see a scenario where one could play that game and the rules would incentivize it going forward. I bring up one example where Tim Elliott is grabbing gloves and everything else, and people are like, that's real dirty the way he's fighting. And then afterwards, he's like, it's my job to fight. It's the referee's job to call it. If he doesn't call it, why should I not do it? That's a great question, BC. Why shouldn't he do it? Well, I think we got it. We have a larger gray area issue, and I really want to credit Daniel Cormier and Daniel Cru- Dominic Cruz excuse me, on the broadcast for uh, kind of laying that out and, and comparing this to what happened in Jan Sterling one. And, you know, nobody wants to see somebody win a title on a DQ, but we understand why that is there so someone couldn't exploit the rules to keep their belt. Well, in this case, if there was intention of doing a, even though afterwards Boralio was like, you know, I thought his knee was, I didn't know his knee was down, which it was. I didn't love his, I didn't love Boralio's, uh, wow, that's a bad pronunciation, a breakdown of, of why. But I also can recognize that in the flow of a fight, dude, how could you be fully aware of everything? You know what I mean? You're in the midst of a fight and you're getting hit and all that. I will say this. I think that was a good discussion that something needs to be looked into. Because in this case, if you're Boralio and you did have bad intention in mind, he's clearly up 2 nothing on the scorecards. It was a hugely, hugely impressive performance in his UFC debut from Brazil. Wild as shit tattoos. Consecutive wins on the Dana White Contender Series. He's leaping through your screen. We're hearing about him grappling with Damian Maya for years to be prepared for this moment. He's widely up to nothing. Yeah, he had the cushion to potentially lose a point and win there. But he doesn't know in that spot, Luke, even if that is his bad intention, that the other guy's not going to continue. Because this also had that weird development of the doctor going, yeah, he looks fine to me. He can fight. And it was Omar Godziev saying, no, I can't. No, I can't. And then I guess was willing to take the gamble of going to the cards and lost. What I don't know, Luke, necessarily is how you fix this scenario. I don't want to see a title changing hands under any circumstances like we saw in Jan Sterling one. I don't want to see someone abusing the rules going, look, I'm not going to get DQ'd. I might lose a point, but if I got a big enough lead, I can do it. So Luke, how do you fix this? I don't have an answer, but I do know there's an issue here that if we keep going down the road and have fights that end and look like this, it will be adjusted. There will be something that needs to put into place to sort of stop this behavior. Does it need to be an instant disqualification? Is that the only thing that will sober this up, Luke? Um, no, but I grant that there are a ton of problems here. Versus, I looked this up, like what is the difference between an intentional and accidental foul? And in terms of how most states define it, they don't really tell you what the difference is. You're sort of just allowed to infer what it's supposed to be. I, I mean, you know, it looked to me like, I, I, I granted that he kind of thought, oh, he just has his hands down or, or the, the, the back of the hand because he kind of has his hand like this on the mat. If you have it like that and then your and your knees are or yeah, no, sorry, you had both feet in the air, 
he he assumed that like it didn't count or it was somehow you know he just didn't seem to understand the rules so part of it is there's still like a rule issue understanding with the fighters compounded by a difficulty i think that the referees have by a lack of a clear description of well what separates intentionality from accidental because that would have made a difference in the outcome here as well if it's an intentional foul you go one direction if it's accidental you go another but then at the same time he's calling it an accidental foul but then they still took a point from him Right, which is where you get the thirty, the twenty nine, twenty sevens across that because he was winning. He basically had taken the back all three rounds eventually, right? So that, that was really why he was he was up. So it's like you take a point from him, but you don't DQ him. But it's an accidental foul. Like none of that really adds up. You see, I'll tell you what the solution is to answer your question. Aside from the difficulty, you need a superior rule set. That shot should be legal. That's what should happen. That shot should be legal. Yeah. If they have knees down, that's different. There are situations where I think a grounded opponent should not have their head hit. But the simplest explanation is, what is the difference between that and him retracting his arm in terms of what you would allow? Nothing. It would have landed exactly the same. The fact that he has a hand down to me is immaterial. The rule set sucks. And so it forces us right. to come up with these different conclusions and this fucked up algebra we're trying to do. Well, it's accidental, but it's DQ. Well, it's not a DQ because it's not in the second. It's not in the third. The shot should be legal. That's the answer. The shot should be legal, and we just keep on moving with it rather than this fucking rigmarole about what's accidental, what's not, DQ, or we pass the second round. Is it a technical decision? All of that is a function of having a shitty rule set about You're what right. is and isn't legal. And this isn't you saying, hey, bro, let's just let it all be legal. Let's do soccer kicks. Let's Joe Sock. No, 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 no. You're basically just saying, look, that game that you play, which is a game of putting your hand down to 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 leave yourself in a spot where you can only be punched because your opponent's standing, I kind of agree with you. If it's a knee, it's a little bit more obvious. It's a little harder to play that game, although you still could, but it takes that away from it. What I hate, Luke, is the idea that whether it's the person committing the foul accidentally or not, and we're, we're, we can gauge, did they do that on purpose? There's also to the person who's victimized, who, who eventually ha who essentially is in control. Because, Luke, look at Anthony Smith, and, we, and you know, for all the fun we have, dude, he's a smart fighter, a warrior, and I always sort of praise him, but not joking. He could have DQ'd John Jones and won that title in a fight that he was down badly on if he had chosen not to continue, but he chose to continue. And I look back on that, Luke, and I say, like, damn, that's a respectful choice. What if the tables were turned here? What if Omar Godziev was the guy who was up 2 nothing and it was Baralio rallying, and Omar Godziev goes, I know this situation. I ain't, I ain't continuing. I can't see, bro. I can't see. I can't see. He wins, right? right? Technical decision. He, he, yes, we the same point in the bout. He wins. That's right. We cannot have stipulations that involved half or partially concussed fighters making in spots where they've got to kind of rationalize, like, should I continue? Do I have a chance to lose? I, I, somehow, Luke, and maybe, again, maybe it's as simple as stretching the rules a little bit further, you gotta. This gray area sucks, and anytime there's titles involved, it sucks way worse. So, uh, is it? But it, but Luke, it, to the spirit of it though, and, and this does kind of cross over to boxing. There's been famous guys like Bernard Hopkins who, for years, have done the dirty tactics. You wait till the ref is on the other side of you. You punch the guy in the hip over and over. I mean, there, there's always going to be dirty tactics. But if you make the penalties stiffer, it forces people to change, doesn't it? Not necessarily. No, there is a lot of sociological research that shows that the amount of the punishment isn't really the way to solve the problem.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is this a socioeconomic uh, uh, stance you're taking on the legalization of drugs in Europe, Luke? No, no, no. It's quite true. I mean, if, if I mean, the war on drugs is sort of emblematic of it. If the punishments being so severe were really the issue, I mean, the drugs wouldn't have won the war on drugs, but they did. The drugs have clearly won. So, uh, no, it doesn't work that way. I mean, yes, you certainly want to put in at least some level of deterrence through that. But if the if, if what you ha- and sometimes it can work, to be clear. But the point being is if you're in a scenario where you have a lot of these kinds of moments popping up, just deterring it through strong punishment turns out it won't be enough. You have to find another way to assess and and absorb the problem. It seems to me like we just haven't – listen, I don't love everything about one championship. I really don't. But I do think that their product is good and their rule set is clearly superior to, uh, to the one we use in every way, both in how I think decisions are adjudicated and how these moments are they're just part of fighting. When you well, segment he, out this is fighting, this is not, which you have to do, right? You can't eye gouge. You can't hair pull. We would want those in place. Those are fairly easy to get around. But then it's like strikes, hands up, hands down, knee here, this, that, and the other. It creates an unnecessary complication that makes the rules hard to account for. Yeah. Yeah. And look, we, we've already known in previous years how absurd it is that state by state, the, the, the rule book is different in certain categories. And you have times of the UFC announcers going – Wait, I'm not sure. What state are we in? What's the rules here? So that that right. shit's got to be leveled out. But ba- based on your one comment, do you think fights should be uh, scored pride rules? Full fight. Yes. Who wins? Who had the yes. better fight? I think you, it's a vastly superior way to do it. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. I That's do. Interesting. I think what happens when you go round by round, one, there is a little bit of what the overall effort you, you miss a little bit there. Although that's not the worst way. To, I mean, it's fine. That by itself is not a reason to do it. But what I've found is that, and, and you know, this is my belief, okay? So I don't know that there's a ton of data to support this. This is just sort of what I've seen. And so I'm open to the idea that this could, with future evidence, not be true. But my belief at the moment, uh, based on what I've seen, is that what ends up happening is as you introduce a half-point system or you try to get real clever and, and 10-9 means this and 10-8 means that and you get to these distinctions, a lot of times you can train some people up to do it, but it's not really all that easy to train folks up to it. And also, I just don't think you get... It turns out to me that the more instruments you introduce to get fine-tuning, you actually get further away. I actually feel like when you open up the, the space a little bit and you say, let me just judge this as a whole, it actually enables you to have the nuance and the latitude you need to account for all the variables to make a more important decision a little bit later. That's my personal belief. I just feel like we're stuck with this system because everyone's like, we ran to the government. Well, we had to run to the government to survive, but now we have surrendered the rule set to the DMV and uh, yeah. they may not be the best stewards of it, to be quite honest with you. And Instead here we of are. a war on poverty, Luke, they got a war on drugs so the police could bother me, right? You know what I mean? That's right. That's right, Tupac. Thank you. Tupac thank you for your, back thank then. Thank you for your TED Talk. Luke, before you get off of this con- contest, uh, uh, conversation, Boralio is pretty damn good, dude, for a debut. Dude, pretty- those tattoos are fearsome. Free spirit on free, his throat. Free spirit across the throat, bro? That's like, that's some that's prison shit, Luke. 
Like, yeah. who, okay, who has, who's got the, the, now I can't answer this one. Only you can answer this one. Who's got the most BC friendly throat tattoo in the game? Wow. You mean th- that I like? I don't know if I like any throat tattoos. <laughs> By the way, you, just so people know, you have gone on record as you continue to put ink on your body, and I don't judge you. I think you you make, you know, for the most part, some strong artistic choices, and it's your life, Luke. And I still don't know. I saw you shirtless real quick once. You got something over your navel that's like like a Tupac thug life. You won't reveal what it says, though. That's your. That's right. That's your, only your wife knows, okay? That's right. You know what I'm saying? But you have said you're willing to go to the level of throat tap, brother. And I instantly file this under... I used to dunk in high school. I could drink 50 beers and not be buzzed up until a year ago. Uh, what other just outright? Oh, foot jokes aside, there's no fucking way you watched Holloway Volkanovsky 249 times. So no, get I, the, I really did. Get, no, I absolutely Get the did. hell out of here. You can say Luke, no all you want. I really did. I get this ain't 1991 where if you have a throat tat, you directly have left prison and to rejoin society. But you're telling me you're willing to get your throat tatted and then show up as a professional. It's been done. I get it. It can happen. Yeah. It's standards have you changed. You asked me not you didn't ask me would I get it like next year. You asked me like would I entertain that as a thing. Yeah, and the answer to that was yes, I would entertain that. Now, I will tell you I am not in love with right under the like right under the chin line here. I kind of like uh throat tats on the side. Uh, and of course, if it was going to imperil my professional future, that would probably dissuade me. But let's say, BC, I hit the lottery tomorrow and I got a billion dollars, I would probably have a neck tattoo within a month. I'll put it that way. All right. So to answer your question, that, that's I don't believe you. But that, to answer your question, Gervonta How Davis do you not is, believe me? Dude, here's the other part about it. Like, tattooing is not what it used to be. You can just get lidocaine or uh, TKTX and you can just throw it on your throat and you don't feel a thing or very little anyway. Uh, Vasocaine, you can get the same thing. Are people getting – is it easier to get tattoos removed these days? I ask you this because yes. I've, I saw yes. Raquel Pennington fight, and you can yep. see, fadedly see those two stars she used to have on her sh- shoulders. So what yep. is she doing to make that go away, Liz? So there's a bunch of companies that laser them off, and it used to be a little rare. Now it's a lot – it's it's still quite painful, and it's not cheap, although it's not as expensive as getting a tattoo. Well, it depends where you get your tattoo. That can be somewhat on par. But there's a place here in D.C. called Zapatat. Shouts to Zapatat. And you go in there and you get enough treatments, they just zap it. It takes, it doesn't happen all at once. You have to kind of burn the skin off slowly, right? But as you do it, you saw hers getting removed. It actually works quite well. But just imagine if you got your throat tattooed, you'd have to go right back and then get it zapped off. That would be probably pretty painful. But like here, yeah, I would get that, sure. So do you have thug life around your navel, Luke? No, I do not have thug life around my navel. Jesus Christ, BC. I would have more respect for you than I do. <laughs> if, I, if I did. Yeah, I would. <laughs> All I right, really fair would. enough. All right, uh, real quick. Boralio, p- potential potential player? I know it's one fight, but. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. He was athletic. He had good timing for the most part. His back take skills were pretty strong. Yeah, it was a strong debut for sure. It, it ended in total weirdness, which to your point means everyone kind of forgets about what happened. But I agree with you. Like, Omar Godziev, you know, he was kind of off balance a little bit. I mean, literally, there was one point, I think it was the second round maybe, maybe it was the third, but where Bohalio takes the back because Godziev off balanced himself and fell over throwing a punch. Do you remember that? And I was like, okay, all right. I mean, you can't be doing shit like that. But to your point, yeah, he looked pretty good. Like, he's definitely a prospect to watch for sure, for sure. Okay, okay. I mean, the rest of the card was, was – uh a fair mix of like 
you know, uh, adult club buffet. <laughs> like strip club the buffet. The card wasn't strong. Lunch. The card was yeah, not strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about a, well, at least a t- strong top of the card. Let's go to point number four here, BC. Patricio Pitbull. Now, of course, for the Ugas fight and then for this Bellator fight, we did do a post-fight show, so we won't belabor the whole point, but it is worth go- going over. Patricio Pitbull, he got revenge, BC. Can you believe it? Defeating AJ McKee, of course, in the main event of Bellator 277. Um, BC, did the win prove that Pitbull is better than McKee, or did McKee get robbed? I don't think it proved that he's better than McKee, no. I mean, we saw him get, you know, taken care of quickly in the first fight. Boy, do I want to see a third one. Did he get robbed, I think, is the right you know, next day or two, three days later discussion. And, you know, you and I got a lot of people coming at us going, oh, Showtime Company men, of course they'd support Pitbull. Well, no, bro, first of all. Do we think it was as wide as that one judge? No. Dude, I like how people think that we do Bellator's bidding for them. You should ask someone from Bellator whether they think MK does their bidding. I think you might be a little bit surprised at the answer you get. You're like, I think they would prefer if we stopped talking about Bellator. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, in, but look, do I feel it was a three to two fight either way? Yes, there was some high level chess match elements to this fight. And I think when you get fights like that, it's easy to play the, you know, the, the, the case of which guy you thought had done enough, whether it's due to leg strikes, whether it's due to whatever. I thought I saw an AJ McKee get frustrated and neutralized by Pitbull's poised Uh, ability to stand in the pocket and force McKee to come to him and put enough of a threat with the right-hand counter and to to really carry it out. Now, did McKee come on late? Absolutely. It it did feel like a tale of two fights. If you had it 3-2 McKee, Luke, I wouldn't have had a problem. If McKee won a unanimous decision across all three, I wouldn't have had a problem. But robbery? Get the hell out of here. I, I mean, it's fun to do the to do the conspiracy thing, and granted, I've I've led the charge on a lot of bad conspiracies. You know, oh, he came out and demanded a million dollars. Scott Coker's doing the okey-doke to make sure he stays around. Like, remember when Tim Bradley got that decision against Manny Pacquiao? It's like, oh, Bob Arum doesn't want Pacquiao to fight Mayweather, so he's going to keep him here longer. I don't, come on, come on, bro. We're not, no, we're not doing that at Bellator 277. But it was the type of deal where it turned into a chess match, and when you play chess at a high level and leave it up to the judge's discretion, you get what you get, Luke, and that's what it was. You have to admit, no matter how you scored it, that McKee was neutralized, and that's a big part of the greatness of Pitbull to be able to put forth this performance at 34 in a weight class really above where he probably belongs against a guy who finished him in just over a minute. Yeah, I was hella impressed by this, and boy, do I want to see this a third time. Yeah, I'm with you. I had the first three rounds for Pitbull, probably the last two for McKee. Could you find another one for McKee within the first three? You probably could. Not all of them. I think some of them were pretty definitive, but maybe there's another one there. And so if you out there scored it for AJ McKee, I don't agree, but I don't find that egregious. And I would have, you know, said, I'm just the same. I don't agree, but okay, he wins. But dude, Pitbull, we got to say something about Pitbull, man, because I, 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 we, did, we did not count him out heading into the first fight. We thought he was a very much a live dog, and then he got run over, and you're like, okay, well, you know, that was an incredible moment for A.J. McKee. And I still think A.J. McKee, I will say, unlike Ugas, I think his stock dropped a little, which I'll talk about in just a second. But for Pitbull, B.C., I thought his stock boomed back to kind of where it was. This guy is the king of rematches, and this is what it's like when you get a well-rounded guy who, yes, fought another very, very tough guy in A.J. McKee, a very, very elite fighter. But... But for him to have, as you put it, that poise, that understanding, those adjustments and everything else, 
man, you to have all of that ability, all of that firepower, not be shopworn at this stage in his game. And he's a fucking Iron Man, BC, to be around this long and the wars he's been in. And he's still this fresh where he could come back from a defeat like this and then still have the mental fortitude to want to like recapture lost glory dude he is a fucking marvel pitbull I mean, is dude, a he marvel. once moved up to lightweight and one punch michael chandler i mean this guy's yeah. like a, i mean come on what we... i just feel like he didn't get he, people there was a lot of people who did not tune in to pitbull ever and then they went they tuned in for the mckee fight being like okay what's this all about and then he gets waxed and they're like oh that's everyone playing up, you know, Bellator's guys being better than they are. Well, that wasn't a good showing for him, quite obviously, and this was a much better one. But I just want to say a moment for, for Pitbull. Truly, his career reminds me, reminds me of Aldo's, right? This guy just so resilient over time, so good over time, including being a championship-level good on Saturday night. Now, for McKee, BC, he had a dude to get out of that guillotine that was deep in the third was utterly remarkable by him and again to turn the fight around and then stick it to pitbull in the last two it tells me he is obviously destined for greatness but do you agree with my assessment that maybe after the first fight with pitbull given what we saw here you might did he come back down to earth a little bit yeah of course a little bit because you have to understand that aj mckee was was dancing in in the clouds basically you know we, we were using words like tiger woods or floyd mayweather of mma no d d does he come down a bit from that of course he does because you have to remember like i mean he was the homegrown bellator product who ran through that tournament but we we're all like the reason why their first fight was billed as the you know biggest best fight in bellator history was because he's going up against pitbull the face of the company and then he fucking destroyed him in a minute so yes he reached the level of just almost like damn what are we seeing here are we seeing the future are we seeing the next big thing does he lose a little bit of that of course he does he just lost but luke he lost to an all-time great he escaped this all-time great guillotine masters guillotine and rallied and was the fresher fighter late and bloodied the guy down the finish and i think most importantly mckee's got the defense of i think i beat him and there's a large group out there that think i beat him too Luke, if he goes back there in the trilogy and definitively beats Pitbull, I think he regain, regains most of, of what happens. Mm. So does he take a, a step back? Of course. You lose, you're going to take a step back. But but this is not, you know, long-term damaging to, 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 to where his potential goes. MMA is different than boxing. It's a lot harder to pull off what Floyd Mayweather did. There are so many ways to lose the fight, including the way he lost this one. Uh, but no, Luke, we are still looking at, at a at a future great, and I think it really raises the stakes for this third fight. And again, I said this Friday night in our reaction show when I was wearing a a, a drug rug and some loud basketball shorts that were, you know, creeping up, Luke. Okay, in hindsight, you know, wow, right? I mean, it's hindsight 2020 in this case, wow, bro. Um, my point was that if you're Bellator, you got a trilogy but with your two greatest fighters of all time? Yeah, I kind of I kind of like this. This, this. this could be good for business in the long run, Luke. All right, but what about the idea that what A.J. McKee said, which is he's going to 155 after this. So he could go and fight the other pit bull and get the belt right back at 155. Do you like that idea? That's a savvy business move for him. Under the grounds of what we think we know his contract to be, and I say we think we know based on what Ariel said, Coker was asked about it after the fight, and he's like, you know, I don't really know. I mean, Scott Coker was asked, is A.J. a free agent now? And Scott's response was, I don't really know. So do I really know? No. But the point is, if we believe that A.J.'s got two fights left on the deal at the current rate, what's his best 
chance to improve his leverage and marketing ability. If they'll let him, yes, going up to 155 and winning a championship. Oh, storyline-wise, it just so happens that the guy's brother's standing there. You know, it's like the old Michael Chandler thing. He one-punched Patricky, you know, and 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 now you got to go after the brother, right? And it's 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 a smart, savvy move if he can pull it off. And it shows how great of a fighter we could be. And if he could come back to a featherweight championship trilogy against Pitbull after having beaten his brother for the belt that Patricio Pitbull gave up, uh, yeah, it, it just writes itself. It puts A.J. McKee back in a strong leverage driving position. And I think we can say this, Luke. He's a savvy young man. He understands his potential value. He's trying to leverage it. Um, st- step back, a little one here. A little one against a great fighter in a, in a fun and interesting chess match that I don't think people realize that that what they were watching at times. But uh, we got to do this third fight, Luke, before the end of this two-fight deal, in my opinion, right? Well, I'll tell you this much. If he goes up to 155, he's an instant contender. I mean, we kind of know that, but let me just read the names. Obviously, Patricky's the champion. So rank number one is Sidney Outlaw, two, Brent Primus, three, Benson Henderson. Now, four, it gets a little dicey, I think, because this dude's about to hammer everybody. Usman Nurmagomedov is sitting at four, Peter Quigley at five. Okay, I don't know about against Usman, although even him he probably is competitive against, but he's basically, for the most part, he's competitive against any of those guys, and I would favor him to beat the majority of them, wouldn't you? Yes. Yes, I would. And I've and I have, though, long said that. Watch out. Down the road for Bellator, if they can end up keeping McKee, Usman Nurmagomedov versus AJ McKee is the fight that gets me so freaking fired sure. up. But by the way, as would... As would an Aaron Pico when he's ready to go to the title level. If it happens at featherweight with McKee as champion, I'd be just as fired up for that. But, yeah, Luke, um, I saw a lot of negative takes coming off of this fight. I got positive takes. It was a fun and interesting fight. Who had the negative takes? Lot. Oh, they thought that both guys looked bad or something? I don't know how you could make that assessment from this. Yeah, again, it's it's this, oh, BC and LT will carry water for anybody. Really? Uh, do I think both of these guys would be favored against Alexander Volkanovsky tomorrow or Max Holloway? No. no. Do I think they compete in that fight and have a chance to win? Yes. Look at them. What do you not see? Yes. I. To, to be clear, everyone's like, oh, how good are they? I would favor <coughs> Max to beat both. Oh, sorry. I would favor Alex to beat both. Max to probably, it's competitive. With Pitbull and Max, it's very, very competitive. But other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, are we asking, can the UFC champ beat the Bellator champ? Yes, I think he beats anybody in that weight class no matter what. Fine. And but, Luke, dude, these guys are right up there that, in top five, top three talent. And anyone saying, oh, no, Bellator second. Dude, Michael Chandler just walked into the UFC. I know he went one and two in his first three. But he knocked down the, the the lightweight champion, the guy that's finishing everybody, and was that close to winning the championship. So, come on. What are we doing here? Yeah, what are we doing? All right. Let's move to point number five here. Quite lastly, this was a bit of a shame, but you seem to think it was good news. I don't think it's bad news, but I, I was hoping for more finality. But either way, we did not get a winner in the finals of the Bellator 205 Grand Prix, but Corey Anderson was winning handily, basically, up until that point. So, BC, when you think about it, is the story of the fight that there's going to be a rematch and we don't know who's better, or that we know who's better, but by the time you saw enough from Nemkov so that when they rematch, you think he's got better chances, or are we just delaying the coronation of Corey Anderson? No, we're not, and I don't like you using the term handily. He was up two rounds to one and had made the adjustment to use his wrestling, and look, he had a great third round leading up to that stoppage due to the the errant strike, but Luke... The headbutt, the headbutt. The headbutt, excuse me. But what I was saying was, look, now let's see what the champions got in round four. Let's see. I, I think I told you, you know, uh, off camera, they're like, man, Nemkov's going to come out slinging in round four. Let's see what he's got. Luke, I learned lessons, you know, through the years. And uh, 
you know, I think one time I was working front page of ESPN.com and it was an NBA playoff series. The team that did not have home court advantage was the favorite, but then they lost the first two games at the other team's home court and they were down two nothing. I wrote, oh, this team has a commanding lead as the headline. I, some big boss, Luke, picked up the phone and called me and they go, aren't you supposed to win home games in the NBA playoffs when teams are relatively even? I'm like, yeah. That's not a commanding 2 nothing lead. They did what they're supposed to do. Luke, I don't think Corey Anderson was in a commanding lead. I think he took advantage of the fight, moved the, 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 the moved it in his direction, and now it was going to be up to the champion to come out in the championship rounds and do things. So would Bellator have preferred this? No, I'm not trying to say that it's better for Bellator long-term to have a disputed decision in the main event and then the co-main event, which is your tournament final, have no winner. Nobody's asking for that. But when you look at business and how it unfolds, now we got another main event out of these two. You still put the million dollars in the title at the line. It's just that you got to wait. But we've seen enough through three rounds to know that Corey Anderson's not only in this fight, Luke, he looked to be in the direction of taking over. Uh, he was up two rounds to one in our mind going into there. So I can't wait to see what this looks like now when they do it again. And I'm going to get pretty fired up for it again, Luke. Show me where the major damage and disappointment is in this outcome outside of just the, when you put a fight together, you want a winner. Okay, so Bellator's had a few stick kicks, Luke, in their time, right? A few a few fights not go the way you'd, you would have wanted it to, but I don't look at this as a disaster, dude. Again, I know like the narrative was like, see, Bellator, you try to have a, you try to do nice things and that's what you get. No, this is an interesting fight. Let's see well, you pick up where it left off. Uh I'm a, okay, I'm halfway there. I'll go, I'll meet you halfway, which is to say, I don't think it's a disaster. No, it's not a disaster. But I've seen Bellator post Bjorn Rebney and then, of course, Strike Force before it try to pull off tournaments that are, you know, spread out over the course of these fucking glasses. I lost my other ones and they won't stay up, but uh, I've, you know, spread out over the course of a year or however long it goes. And they're just hard to do. It doesn't matter if it's UFC, if it's Bellator, if it's Strike Force. You know, trying to plan around that is very difficult to do for the most part. So we had a lot of guys fall out. Now, we did get two very deserving contenders in that main, or I should say, a finalist in that main event with Nemkov and Corey Anderson. Here's the problem for me. Um, on the one hand, I thought what Corey Anderson showed in this fight was no doubt that his reformation project is absolutely real because you and I both have a pretty high degree of respect for Nemkov. Here's what I can't get past, BC, and maybe you can you can tell me I'm wrong about this, and that would be fine. We'll have to see what happens in the, in the co-main. But unless Nemkov has an answer for the wrestling in the rematch, I don't think he can win. Do you think he can win if he can't fix the wrestling? Uh, okay, if it, if, it's a, if it becomes a blatant hole in the rematch in which Anderson's taking him down off the start and Nemkov's unable to get up, yeah, we got a problem there. But what did you see in the first round? I saw Nemkov kind of handling him on the feet. Every fight starts on the feet. Luke, we got to see it play out. Now, it's a it's a weird sort of advantage for Nemkov, the champion, meaning he was down 2-1 to one and in a rough spot, and now he gets another chance to heal up, come back, get a full camp, and try it again. It's just sort of the way things went. But yes, does he have an uphill climb going into training camp and going, this guy's got an edge on me in this fight. I've got to figure it out. He does, Luke. But this is what we're trying to find out. Who's the best light heavyweight in Bellator? And um, again, I guess here's, here's the thing. I just feel bad for Corey Anderson. I feel bad for Corey Anderson that he got maligned in MMA and let go from UFC and everyone kind of said he was a bust. When in fact, all he was doing was like Ugas readying himself for a second chapter he gets the second chapter going, and he looked fuck not not just this fight, but you know the whole Bellator push has looked fucking 
phenomenal every time he has stepped out there for Bellator. You and I both know that Nemkov is a legitimate world-class 205-er, and it looked to me like Anderson was finally putting everything together. He was finally having the performance he needed in the big fight he needed. He was about to win a million bucks and everything else, and then this whole thing got away from him. I just feel like this guy is owed a level of respect that even I didn't have maybe a couple of years ago, but I've at least seen the light, and I I, I was we were this close to getting it, and it got taken away from him. And it's not anyone's fault, whatever, but I do feel bad for Corey Anderson, and that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Is that palatable and fair to you as you apparently search for everything in your house in the middle of the show? Sorry, Luke. I, I have got animals jumping in here trying to jump on me. Um, I will say this, Luke. Do we Should we give him his overused term for you and I in the past four days? Give him his flowers? Yes. But, look, he also committed the foul. We just watched the re- replay like four times. It was... It was disappointing that it went that way, but he dove headfirst into his opponent without throwing a punch, Luke. That's a mistake, right? Did we damn Peter Jan for for losing the title in a title fight against Sterling, in which he was up and winning on? He made a freaking mistake, Luke. He he threw a knee at a guy who was clearly down, and the referee had told him, don't do it ahead of time. Um, this, This is a... It is what it is, Luke. How do you defend him diving in like that? I know he's trying to improve his position, I'm not, but it's I'm, a not, bit I'm not defending the act. Like what happened happened, and that's just that's just the way that it goes. No one can plan these. Um, it, this is just fighting, and fighting is chaotic, and things like this happen. But that's a question of like why did this happen? It's not a question of do you feel like it's an unfortunate set of circumstances for a guy who I think has been I'm going to say it again unfairly maligned, who is definitely rejuvenated. And I just don't think the MMA world has properly accounted for that yet. It is that accounting that I think was missing here by virtue of the circumstances that he helped create. Fair enough. But there's just some, there's a piece of this story missing, obviously the finals. But I don't know. I feel very bad for Corey Anderson. He was it's, that close. A few, a few more seconds and it would have been a different story. But yes, we are where we are. All right. That look, is look, it look, for... It, to be fair, it's kind of wild. And I know we're talking about the the the... Uh, the legal strike in the UFC fight. Now we're talking about this. It's crazy that things don't happen more, given that it's a sport in which you're looking to inflict damage, and you know the 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 ability to just barely miss and follow somebody is 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 pretty high. It can happen, Luke. You would think it would almost happen more. Yeah, but that's a, isn't that a separate question from whether or not you feel bad for Corey? You're like, well, he he facilitated the circumstances that led to the close of the fight. Okay. Fair enough. But that's, feel bad that, that, that itself it is fight- also unlucky. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad it was a fight that he was winning, and now we have to reset it. Yeah, I feel bad, Luke, but he also committed the foul. So, And we also had to see what was going to happen in round four and five. I Again, if you think Corey was on his way to ground and pounding this guy out two minutes later, then maybe your argument stands up more. I was looking to see where the fight was going to go from here. Fair enough. I was not expecting him to ground and pound him out, but I did feel like, I'll say this, Corey Anderson made Nemkov show a level of vulnerability that Phil Davis could never get close to. Phil Very Davis true. never did that to Nemkov. And so when you think about it that way, you're like, this is a, that was pretty goddamn. Dude, he made it look effortless taking him down. And Phil Davis takes people down and hold them down for, he's been doing it for fucking 10 years. He could not really do that to Nemkov. Corey Anderson did it with ease. And for that reason, I'm like, shit, man, he is up against it in that rematch. So we'll see how it goes. All right, that is it for you and I asking each other questions. Now it is time for us to get the donks to ask us questions. It's time for DMs. From the diggity dogs. He mother effing haw. All right, BC. From Andrew R. Cox, 1984. 
Will Brian start the opposite of the Liver King brand called the Liver Jester so he can teach what not to do with your liver? What do you think? Uh, <laughs> I don't think I need to make it that official, Luke, and start my own video series, but I do like to provide the, uh, <laughs> the public uh, service message that is uh, gas station food, the silent killer. So if you've been uh, supplementing your diet as I have for the past, you know, 30 something years with that uh as luke would say you're you're gonna have to pay at the end right you know that that receipt that comes due luke that bill bill, that bill is due and uh it sucks luke do i like not eating beef anymore no i hate it do i like avoiding fast food at all costs i hate that shit luke but you know know. now when i see whenever we're at whenever we're these events i see the pain on your face when you're like do they have a caesar salad Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did it to myself, Luke, okay? I did it to myself. Uh, I'll say this, dude. People ask me, like, what do you think of the Liver King? Is anything he says, like, valuable? I'm like, for for laughs, maybe. The nine ancestral tenets that he called. What does he call his people? Primates? What does he call them? Primals. Primals. That's what he calls them. Yeah, he's a hell of a marketer and businessman, Luke, okay? It's like, dude, if you you had even – I mean, what is this guy's – does this guy think that cavemen were all like fucking super jacked on anabolics and just, you know, dragging fucking kettlebells and shit? It's like the most totally divorced from reality assessment of human performance and human origins I've ever seen. If you like seeing a guy who is, you know, this is my opinion, almost certainly on all the anabolics in the world, who has a funny Instagram life, yeah, you should watch it. But for anything other than that, you are wasting your time. All right. Um, from Blake Griffin, spell with a Y, BC, B-L-A-Y. K-E, not the Blake Griffin who dunks on motherfuckers. What yeah. if Max says F it and wants to move up to lightweight instead of a trilogy with Volk? Does he have a claim to the Oliveira fight should he beat Justin since he has a win over Charles? Right, but BC, he's got the loss to Dustin not too long ago, so that seems like a no, right? No, I, I don't think that plays into it because of Max's star value and because Poirier just lost to Oliveira, hasn't fought since, didn't come back and beat a you know top five guy to reclaim his spot. And by the way, nor should he have to, given Poirier's standing right now. I think that's a very viable fight for the UFC. And as much as I'd like a third Volk-Max fight, largely because I thought Max won the rematch, and I know that the UFC has liked that idea. Yeah, it is kind of unfair to Volkanovski, you know, and it's a joke question we keep saying. Like, how many more times do they have to beat Max before Dana will be happy? You can't avoid that. And go this way. Uh, Max, we found against Dustin in their interim title fight, same night, of course, as, boy, do I love that Adesanya Gastelum fight, that, you know, he was a little bit short on firepower, but it was still an insanely great, almost all-time great action fight, that, yeah, Luke, he's got the resume to deserve this. He already beat the guy one weight class lower. It's a storyline that I think makes a ton of sense, and it's a monster money fight. Do it. Do that shit. If he beats no, Gaethje, like, but you do would, it. But, I mean, that would be saying you're going to give Max a title shot at 155 before Alex? That doesn't make any sense. Unless Alex really wants it and pushes backstage oh, for see. it, Luke. I see, I see. Okay, okay? Yeah. It's yeah. more like if Alex is of the stance where I'll fight Max if you make me, but again, why do I have to? If you're the UFC and you're getting to a point, you know, hey, look, Alex, look what Alex just did to the damn zombie. I mean, he's kind of making his case now for all-time greatness. Uh, yeah. You know, because, Luke, the the reality for Max, though, and maybe this was true about Jose Aldo going right back in against Max to try to regain his title, and he lost the same way, got stopped. It could damage Max to a a small degree. I mean, if he goes in there a third time against Volk and comes up empty again, I'm not saying it's like 
long-term damaging to his legacy, but it, 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 it yanks him down a peg. Where it decidedly the, puts him. It decidedly puts him beneath Volkanovski in any featherweight rankings. Right. Decidedly. Whereas, whereas right now he can argue and say, "Well, look, dude, I, you know, a lot of people thought I won that second one. It's a fight. That third one, in all fairness, that you don't really have to cash in today. You don't have to. Right. It's true. You don't. It's so, true. You don't. You don't. I mean, but who? You know who would be effing over though, right? Maybe the guy that deserves it more than anyone. Islam Mahachev. Ooh, right. Because he's coming right. on, Luke. So if you're asking me, hey, BC, should Holloway cut Mahachev in line? No. Yeah. Dicey brother, right? No, no. I, don't, I, don't, I don't. I don't. All right. I From don't. Punch Drunk Pete. Do you think the term robbery has come to be blatantly overused in combat sports today? Seems like a lot of people tend to cry robbery anytime a fight is remotely close these days. Yeah, it is maybe the most yeah. overused to- term in all of combat sports. Agreed. Agreed. It's badly overused. If if a fight didn't score the way that you thought it was, it's a robbery. No, that's not that's not a case. Okay. 118-110 Canelo by good old Adelaide Bird, who by the way was judging UFC fights on Saturday. Thank you, Nevada. Um, yeah, that's a robbery, Luke. That's not a you know, and, and look, I think it unfortunately we see it we see it in a lot of fights that people don't even remember. I mean, Luke, unfortunately in boxing it's a it's a rampant issue where you know, you'll see a co-main events or undercard fights where the even if the A side guy loses and gets upset by split decision, there will still be that third scorecard, one eighteen, one ten in his favor, and you're like, What? That's a freaking robbery, okay? Yeah. Yeah. I've I seen I mean close I, fight I have, where the I, Okay, serious question. In MMA and boxing, how many genuine robberies have you seen? I've seen, I've seen a good amount. I've seen a good amount, but I think we have to realize that there's a major difference between that smells like corruption and the other side, which is either that's incompetence or you have to realize what the judges really do. And I really don't think enough people realize this, Luke. The judges are not on Twitter. They're not talking to each other, right? They're they don't sitting sit together. directly on the apron, which I've sat there calling fights. In some scenarios, you get a much better representation of what's happening than what's happening on tv because you can see who's pushing the pace you can see the damage but at times you also can get blocked you're sitting too close there's ropes in your face there's a referee circling around you can miss it as well the crowd becomes a big factor there are a lot of things that become a factor look how many times to, to be really honest here we we like as journalists to be professional scorers right you know and, and and there's times that we'll defend our scorecard whatever but luke how many times do you go Damn, that was a good round. I have no idea who won. Let me look at Twitter and see what my you know, contemporaries are saying because you're like, man, I don't really know. Those guys in the moment make that decision, write it, and they're done with it, Luke, okay? They're not waiting till the end of the fight to then, go, right. to then go, oh, yeah, I took that stuffed envelope to, to score it for this guy, so let me, you know. No, you're, round by round, you're writing it and you're handing it off. You're trained as a judge, whether you're doing a three-minute boxing round or a five-minute MMA round, to look at those as separate individual fights and not carry over in your mind anything that happened the round before. So when it's set up like that, nobody at home is scoring that way. At home, you're on Twitter, you got a beer, your kids are climbing all over you. You may not understand the rule set. There's a lot of factors there. So when we scream robbery, it could just mean we missed it. The judges had an off night. They're leaning on a level of the criteria that we don't lean on the same way, even though, you know, people say, Luke, hey, BC, you score MMA fights like they're boxing matches. And maybe to a certain degree, sometimes I am oddly influenced by the difference in the rule sets. That, that could be true. 
I'll, I'll just say in terms of MMA robberies, I've probably seen half a dozen at most, you know, uh, like genuine MMA robberies. Not that many. Yeah. Not that many. Yeah. Um, boxing, I think it's a little more common because then you get a situation like CJ Ross, you know, in that Mayweather Canelo scorecard. Like, how do you explain that? That's a really weird no. one, you know? You know, um, I, I don't want to say things that 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 become liable because could could a could a a a well respected judge have a really bad night at the office for all those things we just said yes. being on your own island not being on tour? Of course they could, but that one smelled. That one smelled like shit. Like, yeah, that one was okay? not great. All right, from Old Ben Kenobi thirteen. I always go back to this. It's like we're looking for Obi Wan Kenobi. What's your name? I'm Ben Kenobi. Totally unrelated. Okay, worst fucking disguise ever. He writes, oh, ho, 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 yeah, 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 as BC would say when he's imitating Pepe Le Pew and other sex pests. Many of us have met a guy who claims to be a black belt in MMA. How many fighters do you think would qualify for that distinction if it was a real thing? Parameters would be striking, boxing, wrestling, and grappling submissions, BJJ, to an elite level in terms of technique, execution, and decision making. They say a black belt takes a round, you know. I don't know. I mean, it really, all, everyone's different. I mean, BJ Penn and and uh, some other guys got it in four years. Some people get it in closer to ten or twelve. But I would say if that's a thing where we're measuring that, there would be a you know there'd be a fair. I mean, there's a fair amount of jujitsu black belts in MMA. If MMA is your primary occupation, I would imagine we would have a fair amount of those as well. I'm just glad we don't have a belt system that way. I mean, if you become an elite, well-rounded fighter, you've essentially become a black belt in mixed martial arts, correct? Yeah. Unless basically. you're like a one-dimensional. And you're, you know, you're... Yeah, but, like, you would say Habib's black belt and his striking's not, like... It's not terrible, but it's not, like, amazing or anything, you know? I think there's a fair argument in a guy like Habib who, although he, he's worked out the striking to work for him, and, look, he fucking dropped Connor with a bomb, so he it's did true. evolve. Was he ever a black belt in striking, though? No. No, he wasn't, Luke. He wasn't. No. So would he not earn a complete black belt in mixed martial arts under the spirit of this question? From old Ben, I don't know. I don't know. I don't Look know. real quick. No, see, this... Even in even in like even in judo or jujitsu, you don't you're not good at every throw. You're not good at every submission. You have a game, but the question yeah. is: Is your overall level of ability high enough? Yeah, clearly it's high enough. You know. Luke, I saw a great stat. You know Dan Canobio, who works for uh, CompuBox. His dad founded I it. Do. Bob Canobio. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. After Errol Spence got hurt in round six by uh, by Ugas. He outlanded him 113 to 25 until the stop. <laughs> Good God. Good Lord, dude. I, I'm telling you, I don't know who the fuck stops that guy. And if Crawford can't do it, it's got to be, it literally, it has to be up, up a weight class or two. Uh, to break people's faces with the regularity he's doing it is fucking shocking. All right. Last but not least, BC, O'Reilly7402. Good question. I like this. Favorite stadium to work slash watch combat sports. What do you think? Great question. Great question. So I'm old school, having grown up 90 minutes from New York City, that Madison Square Garden will always be and still is to this day, especially after the renovation a couple years back. It's the Mecca, Luke. I've said it. If I go there for a concert, if I go there for a hockey game, a basketball game, it just feels more important. The stakes are raised. That's the case for combat sports. The, boxing doesn't go to New York for the big ones a ton because the tax laws are so high. And obviously in Vegas or Texas, you can get a much better split. But when, Luke, when you find out that a big-time boxing match is at MSG, just like when you find out every November that UFC's going back with a big card there, dude, it's fucking, it matters, man. It's mm -hmm. special as shit. Mm -hmm. So that one, I'm going to throw out it, boxing in Carson, California at the StubHub now, the Dignity House. I got to go there. Park. I got to go there, man. That is a special place. And, Luke, I'll say this. Even though I, I like T-Mobile Arena, 
whenever that arena is busy and we go back to MGM Grand, it reminds me how intimate and yes, perfect totally. the MGM Grand yes. is for boxing or MMA. It's just perfect, dude. I'll say this. So if they're asking, it's different, right? Because if they're asking to work, the stuff I do is not super well situated for being at a venue. Like for you, it is because you're on the row and then you write and then you can do the uh, the HQ hit. And I can do HQ hits too, but you know what I'm saying? Like the writing component really puts you front and center. And so it gives you a different perspective because you really need to be there to, to tell the story effectively. I don't for what I do. So my question was always if I'm working in a place what's the media room like to be honest with you because that's where i'm going to be doing the majority of my work except when i'm with showtime or something and then they put us i mean you know it's either the fruit flies <laughs> at mohegan sun or it's the radio booth at uh, at&t stadium but in all seriousness i don't like t-mobile because their uh media outlets suck their media rooms are terrible there they never thought that through at all mgm bc you know this as well as i do they got the two-tiered one, they have that whole upper uh, deck where you can go to, and it's got all those booths, and I can do my show in there, no problem. Now, yeah. to watch combat sports, that's where it gets a little bit different, to watch. I'm going to say, I got to tell you, I, I, I like Barclays. I think it's a little bit underrated like as a place. I agree um, with you. Across MSG. the board. To, the, the, by the way, the atmosphere in Barclays for big-time boxing, first of all, it's the most amount of marijuana smell you're ever going to find in one arena this side of like a fish concert. I mean, there, yes. there are dear people just getting down at the Barclays Center inside the crowd, and I love it. But um, it, it just works. It's a big-ass professional arena, and it just works, both in terms of sight lines, atmosphere, and, you know, media, press room, all that. I think it's, it's, it's up there. It's up there for sure. Yeah, I'll go that. I think MSG as well. I'm not a big fan of the Honda Center. I find it, like, okay, not great. Um. Staples is fine. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I'm with Staples you, but MGM, MGM is so small, so intimate, and then that press room in the back where they bring everybody in. And we, yeah. you know, because the, the question was to work. You know, this was I do BC. They had these two studios right next to uh, the the MGM Grand Garden Arena called Studios A and B, and then they put all the press people in there, all the media people in there, and all of the fighters and their entourages and everyone who is anyone that week comes through there. So if you stay there and you're just hanging out, dude, you'll see Bernard Hopkins come through and there's Evander Holyfield. And then there's Kane. Vel oh, you know, I realized that he's in jail, but one time I saw Kane Velasquez just come through, you know, you just, all these luminaries just come right through there. So you can grab interviews and get quotes and stuff like that. That's the best place to work. Um, so that, I, my answer is not as good as yours, but that's what I would say. To finalize the question on as a fan or, or, or as a media member who's there to enjoy it as a fan, you want intimacy. So that's obviously why that that old StubHub, now Dignity Hill Sports Park, it's a tennis bowl in which you're wherever you're sitting, you're on top of the action. That's great. Also, Luke, the theater at Madison Square Garden, the, the Hulu Theater, whatever mm -hmm. they call it, mm -hmm. that is an incredible venue for intimacy and fans going nuts for, for a boxing match as well. Um, they never go there anymore, but the MGM Foxwoods, in Connecticut, uh, the, I don't know why they don't go there anymore, but I've seen some great boxing there. That it's just it, it's a theater. You're on top of it. That's what you want, Luke. You want to be on top of it, all right? Yeah, that's that's truly the answer there. Uh, okay, so that is it bottom, for right? the answer from Donks. Hey, we see it's time for your shit. We always say we only have male fans. We've got male. Um, Christy, who calls herself Shine on Twitter, Luke T at TN Shine Girl. Do you see this tweet in the moment? She says, my father-in-law really rarely sits down to watch things I put on TV, but we're at the in-laws for Easter, and my father-in-law's on the couch right now watching MK, having a good laugh at BC's liver issues. MK is for everyone, even retirees who prefer wrestling. 
Luke, shout out to that old motherfucker that this that Christie's father-in-law. This guy tuning in, going like, you know, it's, it reminds me of that scene in Tommy Boy where they got the Tommy Boy's got the 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 bomb strapped to his chest, but the lady at the diner's like, "You want to watch this or American Gladiators?" And they're like, "Gladiators, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah." You know, they're probably like, "Pops, you want to watch the Today Show or these two pasty white dads talking about livers?" You know, so uh, was it was it Tommy Boy where they got high as balls and then they drove and then the cop was like, "You're going seven. Seven. That miles was Black Sheep. Black yeah, Sheep. Yeah, that was Black the, the spinoff. Yeah, yeah. Good, yeah. good shit. All right, Luke. Uh, this is going to be an abbreviated version of the shit because of traveling. But shout out, shout out to Gaff Pierre, our fantastic producer, for assembling this last minute. And yes, I know Matt Snyder's no longer the Staples Center. It's CryptocurrencyDome.com over there in LA. Thank he you. He just wanted that. to tell us that so we would promote crypto. That's the kind of guy. He yeah, is. they. The guy loves Doge. That guy fucking loves Doge. All right, here we go, uh, Luke. We start off uh, UFC Fight Night Las Vegas. Oh, sorry. Highs and lows. The shit, the good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, really, have you seen this shit? Let's find out. UFC Vegas, Luke. Andre Fialo put it all over Miguel Baeza, sending him to a third straight defeat. And this was violent, brother. Dirty boxing is legal in MMA. Good Lord. Dude, what happened? Because you used to be riding the train of Miguel Baeza, Luke. Baeza was on a hot streak until he wasn't. Um... You know, some of his issues have been laid more bare. I mean, this is what this is why it's like you got to fight. This is why you got to see him fight all the contenders. You know, because you just don't know until you know. Now we have a clearer sense of his upper, you know, his upper bound limits and some of his weaknesses. And he's still yeah. a good fighter, obviously. Don't misunderstand me. But yeah, Fialio put it on him big time. Luke, our our favorite big boy, Chris Barnett, the heavyweight, was back. He may have lost a third round technical decision following a foul, but he did his thing on the ring walk. Luke, your thoughts? Did they say he was from Spain? He's fighting out of Spain. <laughs> I don't know what that flag is, Luke. That's not Spain. That's the it? Spanish flag. And look, it says Zaragoza, Spain. Is that an error? Do we not and, know? Him? I don't know if he just put he was from. No, he's got Spain on his fucking. I don't know what that is. That's hilarious. But look at him dancing. Look at him, man. Hey, um, they're just. Oh, he's Luke. He was born there, according to to his father was stationed in the Air Force as a captain. Ah, there in, you go. In there Zaragoza. you go. Okay, I was gonna say he's Kinda decidedly like, American, but I didn't know the story. Yeah, about. wasn't Bisping born in Germany? Your ass was born at the New Delhi. In India, I was born in India. Yes, my brother was yeah. born in Paris, and my sister was born in Beirut. We were all born overseas. Wow, wow, that's that's uh, I love. That. Anyway, this man uh, can Luke, dance. I just want to point that out. It's time for close encounters of the Drakkar kind. Two years removed, Luke. He came and did his thing, dude. Did you see the second round stoppage he put on old Brandon Jenkins? Yeah, he tore him up. I mean, that was a... It, dude, this is what we say. Dude, Jakar close. Remember we talking about it? Like Everyone's like, oh, he got shoved. He must be a pussy. It's like... Or he was really injured because all of the ever, other evidence tells us that he's a fucking hammer who just comes yeah. forward. And you saw it there. Dude. He he put it on him. Good for Jakar close, man. You know, when you Two get injured like that, angry. not only do you lose time, but you go on... I'm sure his social media was filled with trolls, you know? Yeah, he had he had them Arlene Blenko anger fists, Luke. Ready. He was ready, you know? You you might be the number one Blenko fan. Love. Big, big Arlene Blenko fan. She's fighting for the title. Third time, Luke. Third time yes, could be the is. charm yes, this is. weekend in Hawaii. Uh, Luke, big night at UFC Vegas for Jordan Levitt. You know this guy? First of all, showing us some plumbers crack on the ground against Trey Ogden. Your thoughts? Nothing like man-ass to get you going on a Monday. <laughs> I mean, like you could put more than a quarter in that slot, Luke. Okay, but but this he is, got the win. This is truly the dumbest and worst show ever made. I, 
I just can't get over how dumb the show is. I mean, you can put a whole loaf of bread in there. Luke, but he would get a split decision win over Ogden. And did you see this erotic dance in the split that he put out there? So he's twer- is he twerking? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it worth it? Let me work it, bro, right? Look at him put that thing down, flip he's, it, and reverse he's, uh, it. He's Mormon. Okay, well, he's still basically like if you got a big... Let me search it. Yeah, wow, okay. Uh, let's keep it moving before we get tossed. Uh, Spence Ugas from uh, Dallas, Luke. Here's Errol Spence celebrating his big win with a pair of Cowboys legends, young and old, Micah Parsons and Michael Irvin. But, Luke, look at Michael Irvin. What are those, bro? What are we doing here? Come on, dude. Oh, those pants? Can we go full Holy screen, Gaff? You got to see these combat boots and the... Uh, I mean, you can't say anything, Luke, because you've Next to these two, Errol Spence looks like a kid who won an award to meet his favorite heroes. Yeah. Wow. Doesn't dude. he look like um, with that oversized hat and shit, you know? I mean, look, my, you know, Michael Irvin is a playmaker, so he can wear whatever he wants, but I don't I know, think it's he's like, Michael, that off, did dude. you get attacked by a dog on the way to the <laughs> on the way to the venue? Also, Micah Parsons, if he, if he wanted to, you see, he could fill in for Cannibal Corpse's lead singer because his neck is the size of Utah. Yes. It's unfucking believable. Yes. It's wild, Luke. Okay. Also on this undercard, Luke, you saw Jose Valenzuela, the unbeaten uh, Mexican product. First round TKO of Bandito Francisco Vargas on this looping left hand. Yes. And then people were saying that Vargas, you know, deserved to be counted out right away. We talked about it on the post fight show. I said it. I mean, they saved him a beating. They saved him a beating. Okay, but it's the first round. He's he's awake. Let him. I mean. Can we count to ten anymore? Is it is it I is know, that too hard? I know. You're you're right, but at the same time, it's like, <sighs> bitch, you knew which way this was going. I mean, all right, Luke, this... let's play rate that form. Rate that form. It's weightlifting here. Here's Terrence Bud Crawford. We talked about him earlier, attempting a 405 pound deadlift while wearing jeans. Luke, Michael Irvin jeans. Oh, not great. Um, really not great. He's pretty so, strong, though, Luke. Oh, he's strong. Dude, people always think that if you have bad deadlift form, it doesn't mean you're that strong. What, what is he, 170 pounds, wet and wearing boots? And this yeah. is, what, 405? Something like that? I mean, he's obviously strong as shit. So that's not the point I'm trying to say. Here, I'll tell you, there's a couple things wrong with this. You shouldn't be wearing those shoes. But watch on the liftoff. Watch how he jerks the liftoff off the ground. Watch. He just jumps into it like that. See that? And then his, his hips come up first and then his back. It's because yeah. he doesn't have proper tightness and... Uh, you actually, the little tip for everyone, one little deadlift tip for you. If on your initial pull, you hear the bar clank into the weights, you're doing it wrong. By the time you sit, the bar should be almost lifted off the ground and settled into the weights. And so when you execute the lift, there's no noise except for the plates might rattle a little bit. But you shouldn't hear that click from the bar into the, into the metal, which you can see he gets that because he just jerks it off the ground rather than getting tight and then lifting. Luke, serious fashion question. Do you regret more buying those pre-ripped jeans you wore in Tampa or the Italian leather man bag you wore in Cleveland? I mean, you're asking which one I regret more. Since I regret neither of them, I have no idea how to answer that question. Also, it wasn't an Italian man bag. It was a Colombian man bag. The correct answer would have been the Pink Panther pants, Luke. Thank you. Okay. Hey, Luke, so many dicks in the wild. We had to put a few on this show. Uh, first, I, I don't know what mountain this is, Luke, but it's, 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 uh, it's, wow. I was supposed to be in Utah on vacation this past week. Uh, I didn't make it, Luke, but, uh, yeah, that's creative right there. Is right? that your kid going without you? Uh, no, no, 
Okay. Uh, Luke, secondly, I don't know what building this is. I think they call it the Peter North Tower, but the 69th floor has been erected. <laughs> if it was the Peter North Tower, it'd be a lot more coming out of the top. <laughs> wow. Uh, speaking of pipes, Luke, look at the piece on Dan Hendo in this picture. We've seen him with some beautiful women. Now we know why, Luke. I mean, men are simple creatures, are they not? They just... Yeah. Uh, Luke, you when you go to the beach, do the women in your life ask you to, to build a castle, Luke? A sand castle? No. Why? <laughs> look at the pride. Uh, look. look at the pride. Uh, blow that up. Blow that up. <laughs> look at the smile on the dude who's making Look at him cheesing as he forms the bell end of this fucking thing. Unbelievable. Wow. Uh, Luke, shout out to Carla Esparza, who will get another chance at a UFC uh, strawweight title. She's the inaugural champion, of course. But Luke, she's also engaged and recently had her bachelorette party. So uh, speaking of... Uh... <laughs> Luke, That's a uh, weird like, looking dick, man. Like, <laughs> like, the ca- <laughs> like the cake says, Luke, we wish her nothing but happiness. Yes. Okay, the, the, the cake inscription is pretty funny. The, the yeah. dick on top. I got to tell you, um, I'm not sure that's a healthy looking dick. <laughs> well, Luke, you know, okay, let's let's try to stay employed. Uh, Luke, where I when I grew up, where the, the true kings of my town were dressed in drug rugs. You better believe that all the action took place at the McDonald's parking lot on Rubber Avenue. Luke um, fights, car wrecks, the threats of fights, drugs. Check out this fight in the McDonald's parking lot, Luke. Oh, wow. GTA, brother. Yeah. Dude, what were they bitter about? Probably bitches. Oh, shit. So, wait, did this person pull over and try to run these people over and then get the car stuck? Like, why are they not backing up? He got the car stuck and now he's got to pay, right? Now that that, that bill bill is due. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, he's got hands, though, Luke. He's got hands. Bro, everyone in this fucking thing has a balaclava on or did. Yeah, this is is very much the shoot first, ask questions later approach to life that I have not subscribed to, which has mercifully at this point kept me out of jail. You've never gone third world on somebody is what you're saying, Luke. Uh, Unlike the cab driver who picked me up from the village idiot in New York City one time. No, I've never gone third world on a motherfucker. Uh, Luke, let's check in on the on on the, our favorite uh, combat sports couple, the Beltrans. Luke, Joey and Britt recently took in uh, a trip to the Miami Selfie Museum. Luke, listen, I understand Joey. I understand this he, man. He loves fruit. Luke, he's a big fan of peaches. Okay, <laughs> he's <a> very, yes, <laughs> he likes very ripe and delicious peaches. Who wouldn't? Yeah. You know. And the presidents of the United States. What a shitty '90s band, Luke. All right, let's keep God, it going they were the here. Worst. Luke, I don't know if you saw this in this uh, Memphis Grizzlies playoff game. Luke, are they still in Memphis? This woman chained herself to the to the hoop in the middle of the game to protest how chickens are uh, handled at uh, at farms. I guess. Luke, did you see this shit? It's like, dude. Listen, I'll say this. I understand uh, her claims because it is true that we have just engaged in vast animal torture and, uh, abuse of their welfare in ways that is hard to describe. So she's right about that. 
But I keep trying to tell these people, it's like, if you fucking interrupt my ball game or, dude, I've been, okay, so 395 is the major thoroughfare here in the city. Almost every day, not quite, but almost every day the last week when we were gone, a bunch of climate activists would block 395, and so people couldn't drive on the highway. It's like, bro, let me explain something to you. There is nothing you could do to make me less sympathetic to your cause than fucking with my life like that. So don't do it. All right. Uh, you're, you are right, though. All you have to do is watch any number of Netflix documentaries to see how badly, Luke, our, our nation does with slaughterhouses, chickens. Yeah. Right. Ag gag laws, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Luke, I, uh, I, I, Luke I, know, I know you heard the word gag and you thought, what joke can I make about this that's yeah. pornography related? Can I get a Pulp Fiction reference in there? Uh, Luke, that man's nuts. Grab them. It was Alcides Escobar of the Washington Nationals taking this pickoff throw right to the pills, Luke. Wow. Bro, you know that has to hurt. And let me ask you, when we yeah. were in Little League, and I obviously have no frame of reference for, for beyond that, I know the catcher probably has to wear a cup and a whole bunch of gear. Do the ball players still wear cups? Every ball player. Good, good choice of calling that. Every ball player should be wearing a cup at this level. Yes, Luke. But absolutely. are they? Are they? I, I don't go around checking, Luke. I don't come I don't come and knock, knock three times on the ceiling if you want. Okay, I know Luke. you want to. Twice so on I need the you pipe. To go, I need you to go to the local Yankees locker room and then just inspect everyone's hogs. Yes. 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 Hey, Luke, we got a visitor. It's Emma. Hey, now her, her look at eye Emma. is all bloody because Reggie's been taking it to her, Luke, in the Cat Wars. My guy Reggie Jackson, he's he's out of control, Luke. Okay, wow. bro, that cat that cat's about to fuck you up, bro. Yeah, that's how all my interactions with women typically end, Luke. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, that's uh, that's not good. Okay, I was uh, make let's a P let's, word joke, but I'm not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, let's bring it home here, Luke. Um, two more. Uh, gear or no gear? The legend, sexy Yama. Getting it done in the gym and posing, Luke. Uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not judging him. I'll just say whatever he is on, I would like to have some. He looks <laughs> Can great. we get sponsored by whatever he's on, please? Can we call yeah, out? Yeah, seriously. That if there's a, if there's a, if there's like a, if there's a health clinic or whatever euphemistic name they use for these places anymore that wants to put me on drugs, by all means, please understand that I am interested. Morning combat brought to you by Balco. Yeah, it's great, Luke. All right, <laughs> uh, one more. Look, this was the clip that, that we, I tried to put on a few weeks ago and it wasn't there. This is an all-time have-you-seen-this-shit clip. Let's go to the dorm room. This college chick brought her mom to, to, to school one night to party, Luke. This is how it ended. It ended with me looking at you. Oh, 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 fuck. <laughs> Dude, did she just Luke, that... vomit and then slip in her own vomit? <laughs> yeah, that last white claw, Luke, put her put her over the top there, Mom. But, uh, yeah. You Jesus know? Christ, bro. Yeah. Um, this is a this is a reenactment of you and I on the rooftop with Chuck after we finished the first ever uh, uh, pregame I don't know. Preview. I think I might be older than that woman. <laughs> All right, Luke. That's the only shit I've got this week. Uh, look, check it next week for more. Thank you. Very good. Uh, we have time for, briefly, if you want, BC, odds and ends. What do you have yeah. for us on odds and ends? Look, Dana White uh, at this weekend's press conferences kind of leaked it out there, and Mike Bone was doing some reporting, and I saw his tweet. It looks like the UFC has officially made a at least a request to John Jones to return this summer against Stipe Miocic, presumably J July 2nd, International Fight Week. Luke, if they put an interim heavyweight title on John Jones versus Stipe, for my money, 
That's more than acceptable as an international fight week main event. Give me that shit, dude. Give it to me. Yin? Yeah, that would be amazing. Do you believe it? Not not that the sorry, not that we're disbelieving Mike's reporting, but rather that it will actually happen. Well, Mike's reporting is that an offer was made to Jones about this specific date. Um, let's not forget that John Jones has sat out, Luke, presumably for for you know leverage of of his salary. Remember, let, let's let's not let's not forget he came out and said I want Deontay Wilder money, and then that went nowhere, and he hired Richard Schaefer, and that kind of went nowhere. If he's willing to take Luke, whatever is the middle ground between what he wants and what they're willing to offer him for this heavyweight debut. There's so much royalty in this. Think about it. Stipe is still kind of considered the greatest heavyweight, the most accomplished heavyweight in UFC history. John's the greatest fighter in the history of the sport. Put them together with an interim title on, on the line and the, the chance at fighting Ngannou if he ends up coming back. God, this is great. This is good. Please, John. John, I know that we've had, we haven't had, we've had an up and down history. Mostly it's been you and Luke that's been up and down. Or really down. He, I mean, he's looked, he's just, yeah. It had um, ups before that. It had ups Yeah, there's a few ups. Um, hey, John, take that. Take that shit. Take that money, okay? Let's do this. I'll meet All you right. there in Vegas. Okay? Uh, I'll save my ready. odds and ends because well, I'll just tell you what it is. But Munir Lazez openly shouting out a <laughs> internationally hey. sought alleged crime and murder boss. You know, only in MMA does this have to be explained to people that it's morally uh, bankrupt to align yourselves to people like that. But okay, well, I'll make an attempt at it a little bit later. But are you I doing have to, say, I have to say the UFC and then Disney in particular, they, they must be wondering what is wrong that this kind of stuff keeps happening. But Luke, did you see our guy or my guy? I don't know if you even know him. Alan Dawson of Insider, who recently uh, relocated this family to Las Vegas from the from the UK and is doing mm -hmm. great work for them. Dude, he went hard as a, as a mofo in that post-fight presser. We're not used to seeing MMA media do actual journalism, but he did. He did. Um, so I give, uh, I give Dawson all the credit in the world for just following the story and then following up with this. I mean, it's just I cannot believe he said something like Not Dawson, but Lazez. I can't believe he said something like that. But um, there are apparently a lot of people who think that it's totally normal to uh, befriend people like that. But it is not. It is, it is, it is, uh, it is not normal at all. Will so, that be an extra credit video coming out today, Luke? It will be. It will be, yes. Okay. All right. Set your watches, people. There we go. Set your motherfucking watches. Uh, all right, BC. That is it for a Monday show. What's the plan for the rest of the day? Just tons of pornography? <laughs> I might I might try to unpack Luke. I might try to make up with Emma the cat. She's fantastic, Luke. You know all right. Well, you, you deserve some rest, so please get some. Be on the lookout. We'll have a little bit of a, a video coming out later. We will have an extra credit as well, so we're going to have both of those. Um, Luke, there's some thought. Okay, look, uh, Mikey, Mikey Mormal, our fantastic CBS Sports producer, just uh, shot one out here, Luke. Okay, probably won't be the first time today. Um, and he said, uh, remember when you guys recorded that other high court episode that never saw the light of day? Yes. No, no, we said we're yeah. saving that. So we could put it out this week, or we could save it for when the fight's actually made. My vote okay. would be for the latter of those, but but it's not a bad call I, to do it now. I don't even remember what what. what whether the, the, the material was good, whether the jokes were good, whether they hit, Luke. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in quite some time, so we'll have to go back and look. But, um, yeah, we could potentially put that out this week, too. Yes. We'll, ha we'll have plenty of content. And, by the way, dude, we've got Dillian White, Tyson Fury this weekend. We have another UFC event this weekend. We've got some Bellator, I think, this weekend as well. Dude, the combat sports calendar is 
packed this month. So we're going to get you ready for everything, and we'll have coverage just the same. All right, so thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. Morningcombat at gmail.com for Wednesday's fan subs. Friday's dead wrong. We appreciate that. You can follow us on social, every which place if you want. Uh, on top of that, of course, Showtime.com is the label that pays. So go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, keep it. If not, bounce. Morningcombat.store to see BC. I got one, too, over here somewhere. BC's uh, new hoodie from the, from the MK store. Dude, what are you drinking out of that bitch? I mean, yeah. just pickle juice and feces. <laughs> is that some gag thing? Yeah, it is. Luke, I got I got gags all over the place, Luke, okay? I mean, I'm swimming in so much bullshit in this office, Luke, right? Is your Let's house just, just like it, a right? shittier version of Pee-wee's Playhouse? <laughs> it really is, Luke. It is. It's great. Yeah, it's great. It's like, fantastic. Yeah. Your, chairs, your chairs just absorb fart stains, but his talked, you know? <laughs> all right. That's it. For Brian Campbell, who is... Just always promoting the brands. That's what he does. Yeah. Uh, I'm Luke Thomas. Thanks to Malka. Thanks to CBS Sports. Thanks to Showtime. Thanks to everybody who came out and said hi in Dallas. There were a few. And thanks to uh, Stack and Raul Marquez who did the weigh-in show with us. That was awesome as well. So uh, big week in Dallas, but the month rolls on. We have so much to get to. So thank you guys so much for watching. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.